Hello and welcome to the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast. We are going in the time machine back to July of 1996 and reviewing the UFC 10 pay-per-view for your listening pleasure. I'm Tom Martin and I'm joined tonight by Bob Bamber. Hi, Bob. Good evening, Tom. Evening to you. And I'm also joined by Chris White. Hi, Chris. Evening, Tom. Okay, so chaps, we've got a, a pay-per-view to review. We've got um, uh, some news coverage to talk about between UFC 9 and 10. Um, there's another cu- couple of talking points that we'll, we'll cover as well, um, but the crux of our, our discussions will be around the pay-per-view itself um, and some uh, pretty pretty good fights, actually, as well, um, to, to, to cover extensively. Um, so first of all, Bob, there's, there's, there's a couple of points you wanted to touch upon quickly, isn't there? Um, which I'll just hand over to you for so we can sort of get through those and then, then move on to the more formal news media section of the show. Yeah, a couple of bits of admin. Uh, first up, uh, ni- July 1996 is, of course, the month that Kurt Angle wins his freestyle Olympic gold medal. Freestyle wrestling Olympic gold medal, I should say. Uh, there was a plan, and there still is, to do a show on that, but it's looking less and less likely it's going to be recorded this month. So, depending on when you listen to this, look back at July 96, and hopefully there'll be a show in there I can splice it in after the event. Um, we do intend to do a show on that, but given how busy we are, we'll see. Um, the other thing of note is the June 1996 ECW show, which I think we mentioned last time, features the appearance of UFC's Paul Valens in a quote-unquote shoot fight uh, with ECW wrestler Taz. Uh, I appear on that show briefly just to chime in with some UFC side input on the, on all of that, but if you want to hear Rory Dell and Steve discuss all of that, find out our June 1996 ECW show in all of the usual places. Okay, thank you, Bob. Um, so uh, next of all, I think we'll just jump straight into the news um, and the main discussion points that, that cover between UFC 9 and UFC 10. It's about, about only a month's uh, gap between the two, um, but some, some talking points nonetheless. So, Bob, again, I'll, I'll hand over back to you, please, to take us through those. No problem at all. So you start with the fallout from USC 9. The show did a 0.6 buy rate or about 140,000 buyers and a gross of $1.26 million. Uh, the decision after the show was made to put on three tournaments for the rest of the year. Uh, the show, interestingly enough, struggled in markets where the court case was heavily publicised, um, but less so in ones where it wasn't. Uh, SEG, USC's parent company, decided to tone down their advertising for future shows to de-emphasise the violence and emphasise the skill, which is an interesting thing. We might discuss that in a sec. And the other thing coming out of the show was SEG attempting to fill the next field with a combination of big strikers and a few quality ground fighters to provide striker versus grappler fights. Um, I think it's an interesting discussion point up top. Uh, Chris, I'll come to you first. What, what do you think about those kind of two SEG decisions uh, in terms of how they're trying to pitch the shows and the emphasis away from the violence um, and also, and we're going to discuss this a bit later on as well, how they're trying to structure some of these cards a bit more deliberately. Personally, I'm a fan of it. I think the it's, it's, it's wise of them, considering all the bad press, to sort of not tone down the violence because it's MMA and especially 20 years ago, it's always going to be pretty brutal, it's always going to be violent. Placing emphasis on the mixed martial arts, on the martial arts, on the skill of skills of skill sets of these fighters is the way to go. Uh, it just makes sense from a marketing standpoint. It's gonna uh, the people who tune in because they want to see violence and they want to see brutality are still going to tune in. It's the UFC. This is now that we're about to review UFC 10. 
you know what you're getting if you tune into a UFC show, but you're potentially bringing in new viewers if you market it as a venture in martial arts skill rather than sort of bare-knuckle brutality. And uh, the second point with uh, sort of the striker versus the grappler fights, again, that's one of the things that's interesting in MMA. That is sort of the roots of MMA is what happens if we put this discipline against this discipline. And I have no issue with them, especially in a tournament format, sort of structuring it in a way where we're likely to see these type of fights. It's probably uh, a reaction to sort of that seven Shamrock uh, super fight we, we last saw in that you got two very similar fighters and it was probably the biggest letdown in the company's brief history. So having sort of uh, disciplines mixed and matched in a more deliberate way it makes sense from uh, both a marketing standpoint again but also probably from an excitement standpoint Tom? I'd agree with the majority of uh, Chris's statements I think that the overall message here is that UFC are still clearly trying to legitimise MMA as a sport and I think the way that they're doing that is by saying it's not just two blokes throwing down and ripping holes out of each other it's uh, a game of skill and a game of tactical warfare mind games and that's where the skill side of it comes in but uh, as Chris said the the, the primary reason why the the UFC fan base um, the core fan base was there is the violence Um, you know obviously there are MMA today is such a um, uh, there's so much more to the sport than there was back in those days A because of the amount of companies and the amount of countries that um, um, get put into it but also it still has the underground feel at this stage and I think going it's the right thing for them to do um, because it takes away from the brutality and the barbaric nature of it that, that is the forefront of um, the media um, coverage of, it, of of the sport at this stage um, I think that that makes sense and also the, on the other point of the big strikers versus ground strikers I'm, I'm a bit on the fence on that one I, I sometimes think uh, I, I prefer because I, lo- I love boxing as well I've always preferred the stand up side of um, MMA and my favourite fights are stand up fighters because I like the striking game where obviously I do appreciate the ground game as well and you, you've, I've, seen, I've seen some classic um, ground game matches between wrestlers and also between wrestlers and stand up strikers so I, I, I can again I can see what they're doing because it should create more interesting fights and more talking points and saying the, comp- the difference in styles um, really creates those interesting matchups and those um, um, sort of explosions of, of uh, training um, so yeah, I, I can see the logic. I, I, I could easily get behind both, and I, I, I think um, I can certainly understand why they're doing it. Um, what about you, Bob? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the, the violence aspect, that was more just of a, a needs must, really. Um, you know, I think we're going to discuss a little bit uh, when we get to the show start about how they tried to frame everything, and it's a it's a real balance. It's you know, part of the big selling point is that it is kind of the closest thing, you know, to, to a certain portion of the audience, it is the closest thing you're going to get the kind of bare knuckle fighting on a legal pay-per-view accessible environment. So you want to push that side of it. But equally, you're also conscious that, well, you know, we've got people trying to ban us and, and, and those people that like our stories about things trying to get banned, you're in luck this month as you are on most shows these days. Um, on the other side, they've got battles in the courts and on, on TV and in the press about how violent they are. I think this was more of a needs must rather than anything else. Not to say that 
I, I'm advocating going for the violence thing. I think that if they were unimpeded in the press and in the courts, and if they were going for pay-per-view buys, they would be pushing this as a violent, hardcore event much more than they would be with everything else uh, leading in. Anyway, as I say, those who like uh, stories about USC venue changes, you're in luck. If you don't, you're not. This show was originally meant to take place on Providence, Rhode Island on July the 12th. Uh, in 1995, the, the year before, obviously, uh, Governor Lincoln Arnold, Ro- Almond of Rhode Island came out against USC when John McCain wrote to governors across the country attempting to get it banned. On May the 21st, 1996, Almond met with Attorney General to, quote, attempt to find a law in the books that would enable them to ban the event. That was a quote from the uh, Wrestling Observer. I'll now take up, uh, I can't really timeline these um, events, so I'll just I'll list them by what uh, edition of the Observer that they appeared in. July uh, the 1st, Richard Israel, uh, the Rhode Island Superior Court judge, ruled that USC events need to be licensed under the same guidelines that regulate pro wrestling. Ticket sales were then suspended. On July the 8th, a uh, belief was the deal was about to be struck. Local news story said that Merowitz had agreed to get knee and elbow strikes banned in exchange for clearance. Still the ticket sales at this point. Um, and the show, 10 days before it officially happens, also on about July the 2nd, the Observer, Observer issued dates for a few days after they even get sent out anyway, so working about a week behind. July the 2nd, I believe, was when it was formally moved out of uh, Rhode Island. On the 15th of uh, July Observer, uh, the Octagon case got called into question. The Department of Business Regulations agreed that matches could take place inside a cage, provided that they were also inside a wrestling ring. Attempts to get strikes banned altogether. It's said that the attempted compromise with knees and elbows being banned was questioned after what happened in Detroit. And obviously, as we know, the show never took place there. I guess we won't waste our time commenting on all of that. We deal with this every month, really. More of the same. Anyway couple of other perhaps slightly more interesting pieces of news. First of all, this may come as no surprise, the super fights after the Shamrock 7 debacle from May 1996, it was decided they would be dropped from the rest of the year. Uh, feeling that not only was the 7 Shamrock fight pretty dull, if I, no. if, if I can be kind, um, but also the general skill level of the fighters involved meant that they weren't particularly entertaining, which was kind of the point that we generally got to at the end of the last show. Um, and there was also perception that lack of super fights essentially put the three biggest stars on the shelf because Royce Gracie wasn't going to come back for a tournament, neither was Ken Shamrock, and Dan Seven wasn't either. And uh, spoiler warning for those people not wanting to look ahead, uh, Ken Shamrock did return actually in December at Ultimate Ultimate. Uh, Dan Seven returned in the February, uh, so about eight or nine months later. And Royce Gracie doesn't return until May the 27th. 2006 so we're going to be a while waiting for him uh tom quickly on the super fight thing um i i kind of think they were right but one thing i felt watching this show was that this show needed one more fight because they needed a bridge between the semi-finals and the main event so i think they kind of got to the right solution but perhaps got the wrong way around it yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. I, I felt the exact same thing. However, I don't think they had much choice after the sort of outpour of, of disappointment after the super fight um, on, the, on the pay-per-view beforehand. I, I did feel there could have been a fight um, uh, to precede it. 
uh, or sorry, to to yeah, to, so between the the main event and the end of the semi-finals. Um, I, it's an interesting one, and I'll talk, touch on this as well because it's one of my main talking points from the pay-per-view that they, they have returned to the tournament format here, um, and that is a talking point in itself. Um, but the the fact that the super fight was dropped meant that it's just the tournament, and I did feel it missed that extra fight, which. Um, I think maybe it was a, it was just the, the people that had they had in the in the in the previous um, super fight because as we know UFC eventually goes on to completely scrap the tournament um, format um, so the individual i.e. A versus B idea is what they go with but A versus B in the super fight that we saw was obviously such a disaster they thought oh, maybe it was just a name uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure of the timeline as to when the the, the tournament actually gets dropped from their pay per views. Um, but uh, I think it was just a reaction to the to the pay-per-view beforehand, the, the reason they dropped it here. Yeah, I, I think the original thought was that they were kind of working on the impression that Shamrock was going to win. And Shamrock was never going to appear on this card because apparently his missus was about to give birth to a child around the same time the show was planned. So originally they never had a match plan, super fight plan for this show anyway, as far as I'm aware. Uh, but obviously then Shamrock lost the title. Um, and so we would have got Dan Seven and Don Fry... I don't know that that's any different than Shamrock and Seven. Well, time. also, in the, sorry, I was just going to jump in, in the interview that, that we'll touch on as well, that Dan Seven gives, he says he doesn't want to fight Don Fry because they're from the same camp and he's actually friends with him. And he says he doesn't like the idea of fighting him. So I wonder if that's part of it. Could have been that too. Could have been that too. Crystals? Yeah, generally speaking, I think they did make the right decision in dropping the super fight. But as you both alluded to, it really hurt this show in that there needed to be something in between semi-finals and finals, purely even from the sort of athletic perspective, in that both guys were just exhausted by the time they got in that cage for the final. There wasn't enough of a gap for either of the two. And it, it did... I mean, we got a good fight, but, I mean, both guys were blowing hard, like, early on in that fight. So, uh, I don't know that it's probably a good thing... Like, it has its pros and cons, the super fight, because they haven't lived up to expectations. But I do think if you're having a tournament format, you, you do need something in between the semi finals and the final just to give maybe the card that added bit of attraction, that added bit of star power, and to give the guys a break. So it's probably something at this stage that I wouldn't be too against seeing it return at some point. Uh, but for this show, I was glad they sort of had a break from the super fights. Yeah, um, I'd say maybe. I, I, I think I, I, what I would say is I think there should have been a match on this card that wasn't part of the tournament, but I don't know that Dan Seven and Don Fry was the answer to our problems, other than the fact that they could have easily filled the time limit and given the guards in the competition a bit of a break, I suppose. Uh, moving on. Change to the card, a couple here actually. Uh, first of all, Kevin Jacob was scheduled to face Mark Colmett in the first round. He suffered a broken hand in training and was replaced by Morty Horenstein. Um, and also, here's an interesting little discussion point. First round bracketing was changed. Uh, the original bracket had Gary Goodridge and Don Fry in the same half of the draw. And obviously, we saw that fight two shows ago in February. So a few days before the card happened, they switched, they moved the Goodridge fight to the other side with the thought of, well, there's less chance of it happening, and if it does, it's in the final, what can we do? Um, but, I mean, Chris, that's a, that's an interesting one. We talk about, you know, and obviously not that there was... It was an eight-man tournament. You could have really put them any way you like. So it's not like there was any conspiracy here. 
but an interesting early sign of UFC kind of matchmaking a little bit and going, well, that's quite likely to happen in the semi-finals. People have already seen that match, therefore let's try and not make it happen. I think that's sensible and in good promotion, really. Um, as you say, it, it, there's always potential for it to happen in the final itself, but it's the first time they thought wasn't in a tournament final, so second time round, I mean, like, there is there is money in rematches, and, like, in a final, it makes it bigger. Doing it in a semi-final uh, is probably... I, I, I don't know. I think, assuming that both guys were going to win their first round matches, and they were both expected to, uh, it's probably just sensible to keep them apart, knowing that there's so... I mean, on this on this card, well, there, there was only three fighters, I think, off the top of my head, that we'd seen in UFC before. So it's probably it's just good sense that you don't have two of the fighters you've seen before that have already fought each other fight each other again. You don't want... It's easy at this stage, in the early days, we have so many guys coming into the promotion to avoid that repetition unless there's sort of money to the rematch and you have sort of a grudge match element to it. And that's the type of fight down the line that you could add to a tournament card to put a gap between the semi-finals and the finals. So I think that's just sensible, wise, uh, good promotion, really, from the UFC. Tom? I'd agree for the most part, yeah. I think um, what could have happened here is when they looked at the table um, and who was who was involved in each fight, if there was going to be a rematch, it would have been in the final if, if it had gone that way. Um, so that would have been a really easy one to plug, to say, these guys have fought before, let's see what happens now. It's a lot, The stakes are higher and it's um, in the final of the tournament. So, no, it makes good sense to me. I don't really have a lot else to add, Bob. Chris, the last one was in the final of the tournament, wasn't it? It was the final of UFC 9, 8... I thought it was the semis. I, might I thought wrong. it was the semis, but I might be wrong. Should we check? What was the yeah. final that then? Because Goodridge faced Herrera, and then he had a really long match with someone in the semis, and then I thought, yeah, because well, he, he was two and two coming into this show, two and one at the tournament fight, and no, then he got beaten by Mark Schultz, didn't he? No, you're right. You're spot. Yeah, it was the final. It was the final of UFC eight. That's oh, yeah, that's right. It was before the super fight. You're right. Yeah, I was. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, because he came in with a two and two record, and obviously the two losing were Don Fry in the final and Mark Schultz at the show we reviewed last time. So there was that. But yeah, I, I think yeah, this was this was an interesting card going in in the sense that it was very much a couple of name guys and quite a few unknowns. And I think given that Fry and Goodwich Goodwich because I think Chris Mark calls the other one on this show that we've seen before, right? Yeah, it was uh, right. yeah. Don Fry, Mark Hall, and Gary Goodrich, and Goodrich, yeah, with a three. And Mark Hall, I don't think had a you know won that many of his fights going in. So even though people have heard of three, it was really kind of a two star card. And if you put those guys in one half of the draw, you send anyone up the other side. Now, if it had been Mark Coleman, they'd have been all right. Um, as we'll speak about. But yeah, I, I, it just makes sense. It, it's just, but it, I, as I say, I mentioned the idea of a conspiracy. It certainly wasn't anything to do with that. Someone just went, well, hang on a minute. It's quite likely that these two are going to go all the way. Let's have them meet in the final. And then while we have less chance of that fight happening, and if it does happen, we got a backstory. You know, there we go. Anyway, we move on. Drug testing. Something that's... Uh, I, I think, you know, a week and a bit removed from uh, UFC 200 is a, a fairly, you know, topic fresh on people's mind. But 20 years on, or 20 years ago, 
this is the first show that featured any kind of drug testing. Dr. Richard Istrico, UFC's physician, uh, implemented the first UFC drug testing policy similar to that of uh, New York and Nevada rules regarding boxing. Now, when I say drug testing, I should clarify something. The, according to Dave Meltzer, the list of drugs uh, that were tested for were PCP, marijuana, amphetamines, barbiturates, whatever they are, codeine, cocaine, and morphine. Crucially, and I think, I've got a feeling Mark Coleman was slightly helped by this, crucially, they weren't testing for steroids because, Tom, Mark Coleman was fucking massive. Yeah, he was fucking massive, and he looked like he'd had much more than a stronger cup of coffee before he'd walked out. So um, he was pumped to the sky. Chris, anything... With, with, uh, who knows what that is? It may have just been energy, but my God, he looked like a scary dude. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be throwing out too many accusations. He might just have great genetics, but as well, you well, say, well, he that, was that, massive. That, 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 there's a guy on UFC 200 that might just have great genetics, but you know. <laughs> and I can't just be clear. If either of them listen to this, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Brock Lesnar's never coming to the UK. I think we're all right. I think, no, I think so. And, and sure as shit, like, the one thing Brock Lesnar definitely doesn't do is listen to any kind of podcast. Like, I can, Brock Lesnar in Saskatchewan on the farm, do you think he sat there like, on his deck going, oh, someone's reviewing USC from 20 years ago. I might listen to that. I think we're all right. I think so. Anyway, if it was an officially sanctioned fight, I'd win because Brock would fail his drug test anyway. Um, so there's I'd, that. Yeah, that'd be an entertaining fight. At the very least, you're coming out with a no contest. Yeah, yeah, we'd be similar weight, I would think, but for quite different reasons. Anyway, let's <laughs> move on. Let's move on. Uh, another interesting note. Mike Tyson, there was the, an official quote, or a, a quote from SED promoter Dave Isaacs um, going to the pay-per-view was, quote, we know we're going to get killed on pay-per-view. And the reason was is that Mike Tyson was supposed to be facing Bruce Selden, Selden the night after. But... The fight was later postponed due to Tyson getting ill. That fight happened in September, and Tyson's fight after that, which hopefully we'll be reviewing at some point, is the first Evander Holyfield fight. Interesting about that. And finally, a few bits of miscellaneous news and stuff. First of all, apparently, Horry and Gracie was uh, telling people at his dojo that Hoist would come back for a 30-minute super fight within the Shamrock or 7, uh, but only under the stipulation that it was a 30-minute time limit where if Gracie managed to get... Um, you know, get a draw in a decision main event, he would win. Uh, and sorry, if Gracie was managed to survive the 30 minutes, i.e. get a draw, he would get the decision because he was smaller. Don't hold your breath on that one. More stuff with USC in the media. I'll kind of gloss over it. Um, but there was a CNBC show um, with Bob Merowitz, Don Fry and John McCarthy. Dave Meltzer called the show quite depressing. Opponents from USC come across as, quote, more ludicrous, more uninformed and more emotional about the subject as time goes on. And finally, I think this is... Um, probably my favourite part of the entire media section. Uh, SED were drafting legislation to attempt to get the next USC show in September in Syracuse uh, approved by the New York State Athletic Commission. Spoiler alert, that show takes place in Georgia. There we go. Uh, Syracuse Mayor Roy Bernardi said that he was afraid fighters might get out of the cage and potentially injure spectators by fighting either in the stands or on the street. 
If they don't think it's real, they think it's ECW. I think it's probably the singular line that I would sum up all MMA USC with around this time. If it's not one thing, it's the other. Um, I presume there's no input on that, but I guess, Tom, if there's anything you want to say uh, on any of that stuff, do mention it. If not, the show's back in your hands. Yeah, thanks. No, I was just going to add that I, I, I thought and still think that ECW was real, so I don't really understand your point. But um, nothing else to add. Um, so I think now it's time to uh, to move on to our, unless there's anything else you guys wanted to add at this stage, it's time to re- review the, uh, the, the show. Um, so I will take that silence as an answer. And um, I think first off, we'll, we'll, we'll just run through the results. So Chris, I think you've got those to hand. So can you run us through those, please? Yep, sure thing. So as we as we said, it's uh, just the tournament for UFC 10, and we open up the quarterfinals with Don Fry defeating Mark Hall by TKO in after 10 minutes and 21 seconds. Uh, Brian Johnson defeated Scott Fiedler by submission, uh, submission via punches after two minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, Mark Coleman defeated Moti Horenstein by submission again, punches after two minutes and 43 seconds. Gary Goodridge defeated John Campatella by KO, and that was punches after 1 minute and 28 seconds. So we move on to the semi-finals, which saw uh, Don Fry defeat Brian Johnson by submission, but this submission is listed as elbow after 4 minutes and 37 seconds. Uh, and in the other semi-final, we had Mark Coleman defeating Gary Goodridge by submission, and this submission is listed as exhaustion after seven minutes. And then only in the final, we had Mark Coleman defeating Don Fry to win the UFC 10 championship via TKO after 11 minutes and 34 seconds. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Now, there's uh, a number of talking points as a result of those results, which we won't go through at this stage. Um, but I, I I can't believe we saw Don Fry lose. But let's not go into that just yet. Um, let's uh, let, let's just go go back to the start. So yeah, the, the UFC 10 pay per view. Um, it was on the 12th of July 1996. It was held in the State Fair Arena, Birmingham, Alabama. Are we um, going through opening thoughts, Tom? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not jumping through into the results yet. And the, the, the match oh, sorry. Was, but I was just going to cover a, a quick, a bit high level thing. Um, we had an attendance of 4,300. Um, uh, there was comments of how hot it was in the arena, but that seems like a general thing at the UFC pay-per-views that we watch at, at, at this time. Um, Aircon obviously hasn't been created at this point. Um, and yeah, so that's where let's just let's just get some overall thoughts here, here chaps. Um, we in here we've gone back to the original tournament format of the pay-per-view. So as we talked about earlier, the super fight has been dropped. And we are strictly in the tournament, and the tournament is the show. Um, now that there are talking points uh, in, in in every fight, I would say as a result of that, um, certainly after the quarterfinals, um, which again Chris mentioned earlier, due to exhaustion and, and various things. Um, but uh, what, 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 guys, what, what were your thoughts going into this show? Um, and I, I often say this, but what would you like to? Uh, what were you hoping to have seen differently in this one that you didn't see in the UFC nine, other than fights that put you to sleep? Um, what 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 were, what were you hoping to see? Um, let's not go into the actual review of it and what happened yet, but um, what were your thoughts going in? Chris, I'll come to you first. I was happy to see the tournament format returning. It's something I've really enjoyed at looking at MMA 20 years ago. The tournament aspect, obviously something you don't see commonplace in 2016. Uh, and they, they're fun, and they have the potential to make a star in a night. And this tournament had a few, well, a few stars that have been really made in other tournaments, namely Don Fry, and uh, spoiler alert, as we've already gone through the results, like, this tournament did exactly what it, like, 
tournaments can do. It made a star in Mark Coleman as he defeated Don Farah in the final. Um, the tournament format coming back was like such a high note for me, uh, sort of heading in. Um, I was really looking forward to reviewing this show. And uh, generally, it lived up to all of my excitement. It was a great show, top to bottom. All the fights were pretty exciting. None of the fights uh, dragged on too long or none of the fights were boring, really. They were either over too quickly to ever reach that stage or they were competitive and fun. So I enjoyed everything about this show and uh, I, I was pretty uh, positive from the uh, beginning. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Okay, Bob, over to you. Thoughts on return to the tournament format and uh, overall thoughts on the show? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's the, there's the flip side, which is, I mean, I probably really enjoyed the the show last time, but equally, one, we have the thing with Mark Schultz, which is obviously slightly different, and two, there were more named guys on that show than there would have been on this one. I don't know that you take a, a kind of card with these eight guys in a couple of other fights, whether it would have been as interesting. And as we said before, one big advantage of the tournament format is you can create a lot of new stars in, well, one or two new stars in quite a short space of time, as we saw here. I guess going in, it was more just, I hope they continue to improve. I hope the production continues to improve. I think it did. I hope the standard of, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't really say the standard of matches. I think probably my biggest hope was we've, we've seen, you know, I think every card we've seen, there's been implicitly guys that in one shape or form or another seem to be really off the pace or just really not suited for it. This was the first card with eight guys where you went, they all look quite good. And I think also the other thing as well, mostly we've covered a David versus Goliath show where that was built into the format. It felt like a lot of the guys in this card, this was the most similarly weighted card of any tournament we've covered which is another interesting thing. But yeah, I guess just hopes for a, a well-produced, good tournament and just a, a good couple of hours. And I think we got all of that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there, Bob. I, I think um, it, it was a solid um, production and a solid show. The tournament format for me, um, it has pros and cons, as do most things in life. Um, but I think the pros do outweigh the cons. The biggest con is the conditioning of the fighters doesn't, um, complement the tournament format or all of the fighters I should say um, and because of the spacing of the fights there were no break up fights to give them a break basically um, it, they were absolutely exhausted by the end and you know I we, don't we, think that would have made a difference though really no no you're right and that's that, but that's the major downside of the, of the, of the tournament format isn't it um, yeah because it's so it's so quick and you know even even 10 minutes between between fights that's not going to get let your heart rate go down much Um but uh, no, I, I think I'd agree with you, Bob. I, I, the one thing I wanted from this show going into it was a more. I just, I, I, again, I always say this, but I find it fascinating watching the the uh, evolution of, of MMA and UFC as we watch these shows. And for me, this show was the most. Sorry, it, no, I'm going to rephrase that. It was it was the most similar um, to the current product that we've seen. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Um, the the, the fight, every single fight had its merits. There were no joke fights in here at all. Um, and, the, and, and there's two names we haven't mentioned yet, which I'm quite surprised that we haven't. But number one was Tank Abbott, who fascinating to find out that his interview and quotes oh. never made the fight past. Up. We'll get there, Bob. We'll get there. We've seen that. The other one, Bruce Buffer. I mean, where, where to begin with that? But yeah, like those are. If you're looking at this from a, how is this? Yeah, we're looking at this from a. Let's break it down match by match and analyse it. If you want the headline notes from a 20 years on perspective, it was Tank Abbott and Bruce Buffer's debut. Those are the two things I would say. 
Yeah, it's really interesting to watch um, from, the, from just from those two perspectives. One, because Tank Abbott is an absolute quote machine. And Bruce Buffer looks like he's about 18 years old. He looks like he's aged about 70 years in the past 20. So um, it's, it's really interesting. And, and we won't go into it too much because he, you know, he, he's a ring announcer. But his style of delivering the introductions is so different back in those days. He's obviously toned his craft now. And it's, I think it's much better now. It's really profound. And he really like is... The, the voice of the, of the, of the UFC in today's product. Um, but it's really interesting to, to see that. Um, so that was going to be one of my things I said later on. I was going to say that if you want reasons to watch this show, one's Tank Abbott and two, it's the first ever pay-per-view for Bruce Buffer. So Bob, you've, you've already backed me up on those. Um, yeah. So, uh, any, any other overall uh, any initial thoughts, lads, you want to, you want to give before we jump into the, the actual review of the show itself? I say let's go. Yeah. Chris, you're right to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all good. All right. Okay. So um, th- there was um, o- on the show there were actually two alternate fights, um, but there was only one on on the on the, uh, the video that I watched, and that was um, Dusel Puerto versus Gaza Kalman Jr. Um, there was uh, another um, fight between Sam Adkins and Felix Mitchell, um, which is mentioned on Wikipedia, but I can't see much. Um, I can't see. I was watching some interesting background noise there from one of the boys. Um, I, I couldn't. I couldn't see it in the show itself, so we won't talk about that. But I did watch that prelim fight. Um, I guess it wasn't called a prelim fight in those days, but it was. It was decent. It went five minutes. Um, and yeah, Cameron Junior got the win after throwing quite a few bombs. Did either of you guys watch the fight quickly, or did you not? Uh, negative. No, it wasn't on my one. Okay, fair dues. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was. It was fine. No, nothing to write home about. So um, yeah. So jumping into the show then. We get our opening packages, which we always do, um, and they were pretty pretty standard, although there was uh, a terminology used in there, which was pretty profoundly used in uh, the term playpen, um, which referring to the octagon, which I won't touch on too much, but it's an interesting term. Um, it almost makes a bit of a, a bit of a mockery of the whole thing, I, I, I thought, but um, it, it was used more than once. So I think they were trying to make a point of it. Um, I don't know if that's trying to turn it into a catchphrase. I certainly hope not, because it makes it sound like kids fighting in the playground. But anyway, after that, um, Bruce Beck introduces us and says that we are back to the tournament uh, pre- presentation of the of the pay-per-view. Uh, we've got three veterans, which we've already touched upon, three veterans and five newcomers. And that's an interesting thing for me. Um, at this stage, we have some UFC veterans that we know and love. And we also have uh, an introduction of a lot of new blood at this stage in the UFC. They're still building their roster and still building their stars. So we've already touched on that, but that's that's certainly proficient um, and and uh, very much the case in this show. So Jeff Blatnick is interviewing Don Fry backstage next up. Um, Don calls himself a trained dog, uh, which I couldn't disagree with. He showed respect to his first opponent, Mark Hall talks highly about him and says there isn't sing- uh, one single fighter that he'd ideally fight at this stage because he respects all the fighters. And he's a class act, so what else is he going to say, really? We then get an online pitch for the shows, um, and then we're given uh, the rules of the Octagon. Our judges tonight are Steve Necklear, Michael DePascali Jr., and Mark Denny. Big just Robert quickly, Tom, oh, sorry, just, sorry yeah. Tom, I, I know I took a vow not to try and cut you off too much. No, you show, didn't. But... 
Well, I tried. I tried. Anyway, very quickly, Don Fry, I thought it was quite interesting in the interview, Don Fry named, mentioned, without real, yeah, they asked you about other fighters, but it wasn't really a case of who are your top three, but he named four guys in Dan Seven, Ken Shamrock, Marco Huha, and Oleg Takturov as the four kind of big names that stood out to him. And I wonder whether Tank Albert caught wind of that, and maybe he was a bit more salty as a result. Potentially, I think Tank Abbott is just salt personified. Well, that's but true. You, you, I'd, I'd be, I would also be amazed if you even watched it. He's probably drinking, drinking beer backstage by the, by the, you know, the, the type of guy he is, or at least that's the, that's the presentation that he gives to the cameras. But no, you, you, you may be right, Bob. You may be right. Um, that would, would certainly be an interesting insight into his uh, aggressive presentation of his persona. Um, okay, so um, yeah, Big John McCarthy is our referee for all of tonight's fights. There's still at this stage UFC having one referee um, across the whole of the show, which is interesting to say the least, because you can talk about the fighters getting uh, worn down and exhausted as the fights go on. John McCarthy has to referee every single fight with no break, and I think there's a good reason why they break the referees up in the current product. So that's a talking point on its own, but for now, let's leave it for that, because we are still staying with the one referee. Um, We then get shown the medical team, uh, introduced one by one. and then uh, I was going to talk at this point about the, the, the actual um, the tournament format itself, but we've, we've already touched on that, so I think we're, I think we're okay to go. So our first uh, fight of the night is Mark Hall versus my personal favourite, Don Fry. So, Chris, at this point, can I hand over to you, please, to give us a couple of quick um, fighter introductions to give our listeners a bit of background on who we're about to see beat the hell out of each other and uh, what their backgrounds are? Yeah, sure. Cheers, Tom. Uh, so, as we've said, we've seen uh, both these guys before on the MMA uh, 20 years ago podcast. Uh, Mark Hall enters the Octagon with a 3-1 and one record. He's coming off a 40-second TKO victory over the 400-pound Koji Kitao at UFC 9. His only loss was at the hands of UFC shoot fighter Paul Varland at UFC 7. He weighed in at 189 pounds. Uh, his opponent, Don Fry, probably going in, the uh, tournament favourite. He enters with a 4-0 and record having won the last tournament that took place at UFC 8. Fry is five years younger than Hall and 25 pounds heavier, weighing in at 214 pounds. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And that is another talking point that I I will um, go through, perhaps as the fights go on, but maybe at the end, is the actual, they don't have weight classes at this point in the fights. And that, for me, was the biggest factor as to how the fights played out. Uh, across the board here, and a 25-pound weight advantage. I know we had those David versus Goliath fights a couple of pay-per-views ago, or a few pay-per-views ago, um, which were just ridiculous, and I really didn't like that. But even even this, 25 pounds, it doesn't happen these days, and there's a good reason why it doesn't happen. So it's a big difference for me. And was it, Don Fryer David in that competition? I think he might have been. He yeah. was, wasn't he? Yeah, but what did, uh, Chris, did you, did you have Fry's weight? I know you said he came in at 25 pounds more. Did you have his weight? Uh, yeah, 214 pounds. He was a David. I think the cutoff for David versus Glass was 225. Yes, he would be. 214s. Not, you know, but that's not a lot of weight. Um, even in today's standards, you look at the heavyweights that, that go, I think it, it starts at, is it 235? It starts at the heavyweight. Chris, is that right? Two, yeah, 225 is light heavyweight, isn't it? Yeah, so I think it's 235 for heavyweight. And 205, 205. All oh, right, okay, okay, but either way, that's not you know that that he, he could easily be considered a David. So um, yeah, uh, that's an, just an interesting point there um, that I took from the tail of the tape. So 
moving into to the actual fight itself, um, Hall makes his way out to the octagon, and Bruce Beck describes him as fearless, which I think he'll need to be, considering who he's fighting. Hall then shows us that he isn't here to deliver great promos. Um, his mic skills aren't exactly proficient or, or, or um, uh, WWE or WWF standard at this stage, I wouldn't say. Um, Fry tells us that he isn't here to say hi to anybody. He says that he's got a real bad attitude and tells us to lock up our women and children. Yikes. Um, I, su- I would suggest that you do that because he's still alive today and uh, he looks just as scary as he did back in those days. Um we then get introductions from our brand new ring announcer, Bruce Buffer, and I'm sure that he's going to go far. Big John calls the fighters in, and we are off in our first fight. Hall lands a sidekick, and Fry hoists him up and slams him to the mat as a thank you. Fry lands multiple body shots and remains in full guard. Hall refuses to let Fry up, and Fry continues landing shots to Hall's kidneys repeatedly. Hall's corner tell him to get out of there which he tries to do to no avail. We get a clear shot of the left side of Hall's body, and he is seriously marked up. We're talking dark purple to cherry-coloured bruises for about a six, more than that, eight-inch range on the left side of his body, and it looks pretty, pretty bad. Hall loses his mouthpiece, which is a sign of him uh, gassing up, and still refuses to let Fry up. Five minutes into the fight, and Hunt is showing no signs of mounting any offence at all. Hall's corner tell him to kick him in the crotch, um, which is, is a good as attempt as any as, as you could have to get him off you, I guess. Um, Hall attempts a flurry, but lands very little from it. Hall's corner is screaming at him to turn Fry over, but all he can muster are some reverse heel kicks on Fry's lower back uh, to his kidney, while Fry remains in full mount. Big John tells the fighters, you better get it going at this stage. Fry finally gets some distance and starts landing a few headshots. Big John tries to stand them up, and Hall can barely keep himself up after he does. Big John stops the fight, and the two fighters embrace to show their mutual respect for each other, which was a nice touch. Fry moves to 5-0 in the UFC at this stage, and we have our first fight of the quarterfinals of the tournament wrapped up. Chaps, um, what did you what did you make of this fight? Um, obviously, Don Fry's are considered at this point to be the, um, if not one of the greatest, if not the greatest all-round MMA fighters on the planet, and he gets the win here. But what did we make of the fight itself, Bob? I think the the most interesting part of the fight is about a minute to go before the end and they get the camera quite close to them and you can quite clearly hear Don Fry tell Mark Hall to give up. And um Oh, I missed that. Hall just says, I can't, I can't do it. Um, which I thought was very interesting. But yeah, um good fight. Um Fry got on top. Some of those punches, I mean one interesting thing, and I, I didn't quite put this in the the, the media corner section just to prolong, make it too long, but Dave Meltzer mentioned how kind of more prolific the gloves are starting to become, and that the idea that people in the courts might find the gloves actually more safe because there's that reverse, reverse logic thing where people think gloves make it safer or they actually make it more dangerous. And because Fry was wearing these gloves, he's just able to unload these punches, and within about two minutes, Hall's left side looked like it had been tenderized. Uh, well, anyway, it had been, I suppose. Um, and not for the last time tonight. It was a fight that just didn't really have a natural ending. It was more one thing we see with a lack of rounds. And I thought one thing that was fascinating about the actual fight was that the commentator said, tournament strategy, you want to kind of finish this because you don't want to go too long in these fights because you've got more. And 
we just had guys that credit to and Hall wasn't the only guy, but credit to the guys that just stayed in fights without giving up. But um, I guess that the first kind of chink in Fry's armory was that he couldn't seem to get Hall, you know, for for all of his domination, for all of his standing in in, in the position, couldn't get it done. Um, but still, mm. won the fight, but exerted a lot of energy doing it, and full credit in the world for Mark Hall, who took a pasting. I bet those ribs hurt for a good week afterwards. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the commentators said, I wouldn't want to be him if he's trying to sneeze tomorrow. He must have been hurt and hurting for a, a month, if not if not a week. Um, Chris, what did you make of it? It was just a... a a beatdown. I felt so sorry for Mark Hall. Like he is probably the type of fighter that stood out the most to me uh, in watching these pay-per-views 20 years ago, from 20 years ago, I should say. That would probably benefit um, from weight classes being introduced because he's he's three and one before this fight, so three and two coming out of it. And when he lost against Paul Valens, it was nothing to do with his skill or, or heart or any of those things. He was just overwhelmed with size and power and. Fry is such a great fighter that he was able to turn that 25-pound weight advantage into insurmountable odds for, for Mark Hall. And uh, I, I felt sorry for him because, as you both said, his ribs, his left side, went from sort of blue to purple to just, like, blackened within these 10 minutes. It was an absolute pounding. I, I picked up on the dialogue between Fry and Hall at the end of the fight. There's actually a little bit more to it that I picked up on. When Hall said he couldn't give up, Fry said, yes, you can. And Hall said, no, I want to lose with honour. Then there was a little pause, and Fry said, you need to stop this fight, John. And about five seconds later, John stopped the fight. Wow. But it was like like Mark Hall had no complaints. I think Mark Hall was waiting for John to stop the fight, but by his own words, I want to lose with honour, he wasn't submitting. He was just going to lie there, let the time let expire, and let his ribs take even more of a beatdown. And... Uh, Credit to the guy, because he showed a hell of a lot of heart here, and the size and power, and in many ways the ability of Don Fry, who has been the, the most impressive fighter we'd seen up until this point, um, was just too much for him. But I think Mark Hall would be someone who, if they had weight divisions and weight classes, he'd be someone who'd be right at the top of his weight class, because he is a talented fighter. Mm, absolutely. I mean, to, just to withstand that much punishment, the fight went for 10 minutes and 21 seconds. It's our second longest fight of the whole show. And Hall landed very little offence at all. So just to have the, the balls and, and the, the the stamina to take it all, I mean, good Lord. It, it, it's, it's one of those things. I wouldn't necessarily have said that the fight should have been ended quicker than it did because he was defending. And a lot of it was on the ground that he was keeping Fry pinned to him in, in, the, in the clinch. Um, and keeping Fry from actually doing the pounding ground properly. Um, but uh, the, the, there's the, the damage, the long-term damage, must have been there in that in this fight. I, I thought it... Any credence to the idea that Fry didn't get the job? Not the idea, but the thought that Fry, for his domination, didn't really get yeah. the job done? Yeah, I was just about to touch on that. It's one of those things. Um, not all fighters go into every fight wanting to finish it. Um, so, and, you know, a good example of this, not, not to come to the current day too often, too often but... At UFC 200, um, Daniel Cormier was given a lot of stick for the way that he fought. Um, but he said, I didn't win to entertain the fans. I, sorry, I didn't fight to entertain the fans. I fought to win. And he did. And Don Fry did here. So we've seen him finish people before. Is it that he isn't able to finish fighters of all different classes and fighters that cause him problems and he can't just pound into submission? 
I think there's a there's a point point worth discussing there. Um, but Hall was never getting up from the ground in this fight for me, um, and I can't believe it lasted as long as it did. But it, as long as it, it went over ten minutes and it wasn't a boring fight, um, I, I just found it. It was a bit disappointing because, as, as Chris says, Mark Hall is one of the most impressive newcomers um, that we've got at this stage in the UFC, and he really didn't get, get given a chance to shine. A, because he's up against Don Fry. B, he's 25 pounds heavier than him. And C, I just think Don Fry was, is too good. At this, I, 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 the weight really does help. You know, that's that's nearly two stone he's got on him. But um, um, either way, it, it was it was a good start to the show. Um, and in, in, in comparison to the other quarterfinals, it was consider- definitely the longest fight that we had. Um, okay, so moving on to our second fight of the quarterfinals, we've got Scott Fiedler up against Brian Johnston, who is a kickboxer. Um, Chris, can we come over to you, please, for a bit of background on the fighters? Yep, so both uh, Fiedler and Johnston are making their MMA debuts in this quarterfinal matchup. Scott Fiedler, uh, this ended up being his only MMA fight. He was a kickboxer. He stood at six feet four inches. And he weighed in at 235 pounds. Uh, coming into uh, his appearance at UFC 10, he had a 10 and one kickboxing record and a five and zero boxing record. Uh, but as I said, yeah, this was his only MMA fight. Uh, Brian Johnston, also a six foot four kickboxer, weighed in at 222 pounds. He goes on to have 11 career MMA fights, but eventually packs that in for a career in professional wrestling in New Japan, starting in 1997. Hmm. Interesting. Um, making a switch from one to the other and not the other way. Um, at this stage, I think there are actually more um, MMA fighters that go into pro wrestling than pro wrestling, that go, that pro wrestling guys that go into MMA. Is that probably a fair guess, would you say, chaps? That, that would be fair on the basis that the money kind of falls out of MMA in the next few years and a lot of guys that looking for money, see it as an easy transition and a, um, a kind of, you know, um, transferable skills, I think would be the best way of putting it. But yeah, we're going to see Ken Shamrock pop, pop in the WWF sooner rather than later um, and other guys too. It's just a transferable skills thing, um, I think is a long story mm. short. And given that MMA right now, right now, 996, is big in America and it's big in Japan. Pro wrestling is big in America and it's big in Japan. It's just a combination of those two things, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So um, moving into the fight uh, itself and the introductions. Uh, actually, just before that, I actually wanted to say that the fighters actually t- measure up fairly um, fairly closely. They're very similar in terms of background, uh, height, etc. There's a 13-pound weight difference between the two, but that's really the only thing that I would call out. Otherwise, this is a pretty pretty fair fight um, on, on tail of the tape. Um, which again, when we talk back to the having different um, training styles and different um, MMA backgrounds to each other, this is one where we've got two kickboxers fighting each other, and it's interesting to see how those fights go against the ones that, that you know clash peak, clash um, training uh, styles. So um, Fiedler makes his way out and uh, shows us that he's got a very interesting haircut. Uh, I, I can't imagine what he described to the to the hairdresser when he went in there. I guess he may have said, can you shave my head to my ears and then leave the rest because I want a mullet at the back. But it's in, maybe maybe he was trying to be trendy and start something fresh, but um, it was a bit odd. And uh, he, he plaited the mullet. He plaited the mullet part of the back. It was so fantastic. That's, that's why he deserves credit, and I don't think he got it. You know, no. it's, it's one thing to cut it halfway, but then to plait it, I mean, that's groundbreaking. This, yeah, might, be, this might be the best haircut that's ever entered the UFC. I can't believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> it this must is just, one of the worst just, lids. I've ever seen. It might just be the best haircut ever, Bob. Sorry, sorry, I, I, I meant worst. Did I say best? I mean, I guess it's oh, one so of the... Oh, so did I. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I meant best as in most impressively shit. 
But yeah, it's amazing. Like completely shaved up until like the crown of his head, and then like medium length plaited hair. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's a one stop shop for all things hair. So um, have a look if you get a chance. And he also in, in his pre match promo, Fiedler tells us that he's going to give the fans a treat, and I think he's done that just with his barnet. Um, so Johnston walks out and says that he didn't come to talk, he came to fight. And we like that. That's what we come to see as well. Uh, Bruce introduces the fighters to us. John calls them in, and here we go. Johnston lands a textbook throw, but doesn't follow up quick enough, and Fiedler stands up to his feet. And Johnston tries immediately again for another throw or takedown. The two hit the mat, and Johnston looks for a knee submission to no effect. The two fighters grapple, and Fiedler looks for the reverse choke. Johnston takes some shots to the head, but manages to escape and works into full mount as he batters Fiedler at this stage. Fiedler gives up his back as Johnston tries for a choke. Johnston rains down on his head from above, and John McCarthy watches for a short amount of time but realises he's got no option at this stage but to stop it, and the fight is over. Johnston gets the win and looks like a very promising newcomer to me at this stage. Uh, our first semi-final has set up, and it will be Fry versus Johnston. Chaps, what do we make of this fight? It was a quick one, but um, th- th- there was an impressive uh, newcomer that we saw, and um, it was certainly not a boring fight. Uh, there wasn't enough time for it to be boring. But, Chris, what did you make of it? Yeah, going in, like, six-foot-four kickboxer versus six-foot-four kickboxer, you think, are they just going to go in there and have a kickboxing fight? And is there anything but two takedowns within the first sort of ten seconds almost? It was... Frantic, it was fun. Uh, both guys landed some hit, big hits, and uh, it, in the early going, it was really like anyone's fight. Anyone, it, like, this was one of fights the momentum went both ways with such a frantic pace that it sort of swung back and forth. And uh, Johnston was the one who came out on top, but I, 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 like you, wouldn't, like you said, Big John had no choice but to stop the fight. I completely agree by 2016 standards, but. Uh, considering some of the things in other fights we've seen, uh, I thought this was a fast stoppage for 96 standards. I, I thought it was fine, but Fiedler seemed to agree. He seemed pretty angry at the stoppage um, afterwards. I like By today's standards, absolutely fine. He was taking hard shots to the back of the head, and he wasn't defending them well enough. So it was only maybe three or four punches before Big John jumped in. We have seen a lot worse than that in other fights officiated by Big John. And probably did, not that one springs to mind, but probably did on this very card. Uh, I didn't know if either of you uh, felt there was any sort of weight to that. Yeah, I, I've actually got that as a talking point for one of the fights later on because I thought it was much clearer. Um, I did think it in this in this fight, but as, as you say, Chris, going by today's standards, and it's quite difficult to make that separation now because we're 20 years on, but I did think that there was enough in there, and the defence wasn't there. So if, you, if he's getting pounded on the ground, he should stop the fight. That, that, but back in those days, the, the, the time and the reaction of John's stoppages in this show were much quicker than the shows that preceded it. I would agree with you. Bob, what did you, what did you think of that? Uh, yeah, first, just to quickly echo Chris's point, I, you, know, you, you put two kickboxers in there, and it was a, a fight that involved, I think, no kicks at all, um, which was an interesting point. But yeah, I'd agree. I, I think it was it was the right call. Um, I think Big John's still trying to get you know, a good cadence of when to try and stop fights. But you know, I, I think this one, in the sense that it might have been quick, but I just wonder whether it was like, well, the guy's on his chest, 
and he's getting punched from, you know, the mouth. Like, he's not going anywhere. Like, you know, there was, there was nothing that was going to happen other than he was just going to suffer a lot more damage. Um, I thought the right call. But yeah, I'd agree. I think in the, in the mix of all the other stoppages we've seen in this run, this was a quick one, but not necessarily an incorrect one. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, what, 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 you, you enjoyed the fight though? You thought it was a good fight? Yeah, very good. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we see, we saw a lot tonight, but we've seen it, um, in various points during the other shows we covered in, but, um, given the, the weight mismatch at times, we've just seen big guy gets on top of a slightly smaller guy and it's all over. You get two very similar sized guys. And then because of a lack of technique between two kickboxers who clearly done some groundwork, but not a lot, um, Fielder got on top, got in a position for a choke, but couldn't quite get it on. And big credit to Johnson for getting out there. Um, big fan of Johnston's red, white, and uh, red, white, and blue. Yeah, red, white, and blue trunks as well. The, uh, the American flag tank. Abbott's got something to say about that later on too. Um, and I wouldn't want to meet Johnson in a dark alley. It looked like he could kill you with his eyes. It looked like he had a really, <laughs> pissed off look on his face the entire night but yeah impressive debut and one of my big takeaways from the entire show I think I mentioned it earlier on eight guys that all look competent and this was one of those fights yeah absolutely the, the caliber and the quality of, of the fighters at this stage it, it's not a joke anymore and it's not a, it's, it can't be considered a circus show from the the, the standard of performers um, uh, and the just the athletic uh, skill uh, it, it's really coming on leaps and bounds uh, at this stage Okay, and up next we have our third quarterfinal of the aforementioned Mark Coleman, who specialises in wrestling, versus Moti Horenstein, who specialises in survival, which, as I understand it, is a combination of many different training styles. Um, Chris, we, over we to you. all specialise in survival, don't we? I suppose. Well, we do with podcasts for you, Bob. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I walked into that one. All right. Boom. All right, Chris, <laughs> over to you, mate. Let's have the introductions, please. Yep, so again, we've got two uh, MMA debutants, both new to MMA, both new to the UFC. Moti Horenstein, he's the first Israeli fighter to compete in the UFC. Uh, he is a karate champion in Israel, three-time Israeli karate champion. He weighed in at 230 pounds. His opponent, Mark Coleman, he's also making his UFC debut. He is a wrestler, uh, the 1988 NCAA champion. He was part of the 1992 American wrestling team. Um, and as you probably know, if you're a fan of MMA, he would go on to become the first ever UFC heavyweight champion and is generally known as the godfather of ground and pound. He weighed in for this fight at 245 pounds, giving him a 15 pound weight advantage over his opponent. Thanks, Chris. And yeah, I think that 15 pound weight advantage is really worth bearing in mind um, for this one. Um and you could certainly see the 15 pounds on him as well. So uh, Coleman made his way out to the octagon and looked jacked to shit. Um, he tells us he plans on bringing the UFC title back to Columbus, Ohio with him. Will he or won't he? Oh, we've given the results already, so you know that. Um, up next, we have Horenstein, who makes his way out, and he tells us he's here to get the belt and to survive, which is really fortunate when you look at his training background of survival. So um, that's, that's, that's a plus point for Horenstein. Um, he also takes ins- inspiration from Bruce Lee movies, but I think, for being honest, who doesn't? I, I live my life um, uh, like Bruce Lee, so um, thanks, for the, thanks for the advice. Um, so Bruce gives us the introductions for the fighters. Big John calls them in, and as he does that, he demands, as an interesting note here, he demands that Horenstein turns around and faces him. 
he screamed it at him and said, uh, you know, get yourself ready, turn around and face me. And uh, that's the first time I've ever seen him doing that. And uh, it, that, it was really quite... Um, the fighters do respect McCarthy and the referees because the way he said it to him, I thought I'm surprised he didn't, didn't smack him in the head. Um, it, that was just an interesting point I noticed. So after that, the, the fight is officially started and we're off. Both men immediately try with the offense. Coleman takes him down into guard. Coleman swings for the fence with both hands. Horenstein receives a few headbutts and Coleman moves into side mount. He moves into full mount and starts pummeling Horenstein with right hands. Uh, really brutal at this stage. Um, McCarthy, McCarthy has seen enough and again steps in to stop the fight and Coleman gets his first ever UFC win. Chaps, this, is, this was another quick fight. Um, didn't last more than, I think, two and a half minutes. Um, what do we make of it? What, what, what do we think of uh, the two fighters? I mean, Coleman, uh, a specimen and a half. Um, but, wow, what, what, what a debut. Bob, what did you make of this? Yeah, we said 15 pounds. Is it 15 pounds on each limb? I mean, Coleman <laughs> looked massive. Um, I'm surprised it was only that, that much of a difference, that little of a difference. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look. You know, and whether Colm was on anything or not, you know, to an extent, we're still dealing with this issue 20 years on. We're just going to have to live with it. Um, he was bigger, but still, you know, you can be jacked all you like. You've still got to be bloody impressive. And he was. And we talked about Mark Schultz on the last show, and we said, what a great wrestler. Whether he'd be able to do it if he could, you know, how good would he be if he could strike? To an extent, that's what Mark Coleman is. A guy with the wrestling background, probably not quite as good as Mark Schultz. Um, Schultz, an Olympic gold medalist. Coleman, a guy that was in the Olympic trials, which, you know, I don't want to undercut that, but there is a difference. Um, got on top, started just leathering some punches, um, a couple of massive rights at the end, and McCarthy just got in there and stopped it up. Highly, highly impressive. Chris, over to you. Uh, yeah, I, I thought this was a crazy impressive performance, and you could see, even from this fight, I mean, getting ahead of ourselves, but why Coleman gets the moniker eventually as the godfather of ground and pound is pretty plain to see, even at this early stage. He just throws strikes with such brutality and intent to finish a fight on the ground that we probably probably haven't seen with this degree so far in the UFC. We see people strike on the ground, but he takes someone down, he shoots immediately, takes them down, because he's such a fantastic wrestler, and whether he's in the guard, whether he's in side control, full mount, he throws strikes to the head, hard, fast, and over and over again. And it gets the job done. It ends the fight. I mean, this is just... It was just a crazy impressive performance. Um, those 15 pounds, as you both said, are like it's surprising that it's only 15 pounds. He looks massive compared to the opponent. And, mm. and, he, and he was the shorter man as well. He was an inch shorter. Like, he, he just... Absolute power, strength, dominance, and viciousness, and uh, a really, really impressive debut here for Mark Coleman. Yeah, and I think it goes to show in this fight in particular why weight is so much bigger of a difference than height is in MMA. Because if you're if you've got that additional weight on your opponent, you could just pin them to the mat. You just don't let them up. You know, we talked about Brock Lesnar. That's how he wins most of his fights because he's got such a, a broad build from the waist up. You just can't get up if he's on top of you. you if you, if you try and get up and you use all your energy doing so, you, you're knackering yourself out, out anyway, so you're going to have to tap. Um, so it's it's a very difficult game plan to, to fight against. But the scary thing about Coleman 
is that he not Don Fry is he, up to this point he's been the most all around dominant and impressive MMA fighter, but he hasn't really been tested on the ground. Coleman's ground game is really good, and he's got that wrestling background that he shows off, particularly in later in a later fight as well, even more so. But he's also got that ground and pound thing. It's a scary sight to watch this man work, considering this is his first UFC event that he's been a part of. Uh, just to think, as with all MMA fighters, he's only going to get better, and that's a scary thought at this stage. He made well, pretty pretty good work here. Sorry, Chris. Sorry, I was just going to say, well, as as Bob mentioned about Mark Schultz, uh, uh, Coleman might not be the calibre of wrestler, but uh, Schultz never threw strikes on the ground with this ferocity or intent, or, uh, like, he didn't really throw that many strikes on the ground. He was dominant on the ground because he was the far superior wrestler against the larger man in Gary Goodridge in their fight, but when Coleman takes someone down, it's, it's that ground and pound element that we just haven't come across to this degree. This is this is sort of where this will be developed from, but guys will copy this style. Once you take someone down, it's not about dominant position. He looks to finish the fight on the ground with strikes, and it's this is sort of the beginnings of modern-day MMA, the amount of fights we see to get taken to the ground and finish with strikes, it happens frequently. And this, this guy is sort of the, the beginning of that, throwing strikes to the head with intent. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it's a really exciting um, development to watch him here. Um, and and, and I, I just can't wait to see how he, how he changes his style and how he's, he's as I say, he's only going to get better, which is a terrifying thought. Um, okay, Bob, anything to add? Are you okay, okay to move on? No, let's go Okay, cool. So we then move on to our final quarterfinal of the tournament. And we have John Campatella, who uh, specialises in Kempo, who is fighting my man, Big Daddy, Gary Goodridge, who specialises in being the Don. Um, but it's, it's specified as mixed, um, which is a bit vague. But, I mean, you know, he, he's, he's great at everything. So what do you expect? Um, so... The tail of the tape is an interesting one here, but uh, Chris, let's, let's go over to you um, for the fighter introductions, please. Yep, so we have podcast favourite Gary Goodridge entering UFC 10 with a 2-2 two and two record, but he's currently coming in with a two-fight losing streak, first against Dawn Fry at UFC 8 and then against Mark Schultz at UFC 9. He weighed in at 263 pounds, giving him a 28-pound weight, advantage over his Ooh. opponent in this fight. Uh, we had then his opponent was John Campatella. He's making his one and only MMA appearance here, so we don't know too much about him. But the commentary team say by day he is a high school biology teacher, and considering he stood at an impressive 235 pounds, he is not the kind of guy I would want to be my high school biology teacher. He is a second degree black belt in Kempo Karate. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And I've also got to note it down that uh, Goodridge has a six-inch height advantage on Campatella as well. Now, we, we talk about height not being that much of an advantage, but when you've got 28 pounds and six inches on someone, this almost verges on being a bit of a David Goliath fight um, for me. And, uh, well, well, we'll go on to talk about how the weight may have been a, a disadvantage for Goodridge as the tournament goes on, but uh, that's a, a lot of difference between the fighters here. Um, so... Campatella does his walkout, and as Chris mentioned, uh, we're told that he's a high school biology teacher. Uh, and in his pre-fight promo, he says that he's waited a long time to test his skills in the UFC, and this is his chance to do it. It actually reminded me a lot. I'm sure there's no link. It reminded me a lot of the story of um, uh, in the Warrior film. Um, no, sorry, not Warrior film, and the film with um, what's the chap from Paul Blart. Is is it not Warrior? No, it's not Warrior. It's that, it's that, it's that film, um, Mall Cop. Is that Paul Blart that's in that film? 
I, I'm, I, I haven't seen that film. Good, so uh, the analogy made a lot more sense when it was Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it's an MMA film. I'm just trying to think what it's called. Oh, Here Comes the Something. Here Comes the Pain. Here comes, yeah, it's, I know. A, it's about a biology teacher who then has his first fight in UFC trying to make money for his family. And it, it reminded me very much of that, but I'm sure there's no link. But if you, if those hardcore MMA fans out of you have seen that film, um, I've given you something to, uh, to, to, to think about there. Um, okay, so um, next we have Big Daddy making his way out, looking like the man that he is. And he looks serious. He looks like the time for messing about is done. He states, tough talk is over. It's time to get nasty. Uh, so um, he, he, he does his best to do that. Um, Bruce gives us his introductions. John calls them in, and we are a go. Campatella pins Goodridge to the fence and then tosses Goodridge with a fireman's carry, which was very impressive and really immediately showing off uh, some some good ground game and wrestling skill. Um, both fighters are back on their feet now, and Campatella throws a couple of knees to the body with some uppercut attempts as well thrown in. Big Daddy takes them all pretty well, including a nasty punch to the back of his head, um, and just seems to take them all pretty easily. Uh, Goodridge rolls him over and lands some solid left. Um, Big John steps in and it's over. Um, now this 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 is the the one for me. It it ended far too quickly for me. I thought that it was really unfair on Campatelli. He had the upper hand for the first. I mean the fight didn't last very long at all. It only lasted a minute and a half. But for the first minute, it, Daddy hardly got any any offense in. Um, he 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 got he got on top on top of him, and the the fight was over. I I I, I didn't get it. I, I, this was the one for me. Um, but the crowd were booing, so I don't think I was alone in my in my opinion there. Um, and this was Campatella's only UFC fight ever, and you know that that may play a part in, in why that is because he may have thought he wasn't given a fair run. Um, but anyway, our, our second final, uh, sorry, second semi final was set up of Coleman versus Goodridge. So chaps, what did you what did you make of this one? Again, only a minute and a half, um, and we didn't get to see much 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 uh, of either fighter. But there is a story to be told. Um, Bob, well, I had a nightmare flashback of the. Uh... The Paul Herrera fright from February when uh, Capitella got Goodridge and hit a fireman's carry. I thought, oh shit, not this again. Unfortunately, um, he didn't get caught in a crucifix immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't all that... I didn't have that much of a problem with the finish. Um, it was early, but I was watching that and gone, it's a couple of big strikes. Goodrich is going to win this pretty quickly. Um, Big John probably got in there a bit early, um, but I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think it was a bad decision. Okay, Chris, what do you think? Uh, I have to agree with Bob on that one. When Goodridge got on top, he landed four powerful left hands directly to Campatella's face. And I mean, Campatella was sort of, he had his hand in the way, but he wasn't, there was no sort of, attempt to escape the situation if Big John hadn't stepped in he'd have just laid there with his hand in front of his face absorbing the blows like yeah he he wasn't getting out of that no like it it might have been a tad early especially by 1996 standards but it it was only going to go one way at, from that point whether the fight ended when it did or had gone another 10 seconds it was it, it Goodridge definitely had the better of him but i mean as you say, Cavatella put in a, a good performance here up until that point, really, which is funny to say in a one-minute, 30-second loss. Or, but uh, there's a point where he has uh, that waist lock and he has Goodridge pressed up against the fence, and he just lands these horrible, horrible punches directly to the back of Goodridge's head. And they're like, 
by today's standards, especially watching it in 2016, you see those punches just cringe. Like the amount of these strikes that were just completely illegal in today's MMA world. It, they're just horrible, dangerous punches. They don't really affect Goodridge at all. It just sort of rolls, rolls with the punches, and uh, gets on, gets on with it. I, I like. I mean, credit to Goodridge to absorb in them blows and then get in the finish so quickly. But yeah, uh, I, sorry, go on, Chris. No, no, I'll, I'll go, I'll go on, Tom. No, I was just going to say, just touch it again on, on the stoppage. I just think when, when you when you know we talk about this was 20 years ago and things have changed a lot since then and, and the fights are a lot more well refereed and stopped at the right times because. Uh, because the game has evolved. But, you know, you look at the Chris Weidman-Luke Rockhold fight, the first one from a few few pay-per-views ago, there was so much head, uh, pound and ground in that fight. And some people said it was, it was, it was stopped a little bit too late um, because it should have been stopped a lot. Uh, there was a good minute of pound and ground. There were only three, th- I think you said four, maybe three or four clear punches thrown in. I just, I just don't think it was enough. Uh, perhaps perhaps I, uh, perhaps I, I, I overreacted a little bit. Intelligent defence is the word, is it, or the phrase. Intelligent defence. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's one thing. I think we talk about a lot of early stoppages, but if there's four open punches thrown and they're not defended, chances are there's going to be four or five more and they're not going to be defended either. I think that's the key point here as they talk about intelligent defence and Campatella, even in that short run, didn't show that. Yeah, I think the point that you made that I would agree with is that he didn't like he was going anywhere because if he had him pinned to the cage and much like a fight we see later on, there's uppercut after uppercut after uppercut, that's doing the same damage, you could argue. But also, if you're on the ground, you're not getting up and if you've got someone that weighs as much as uh, Goodridge is, the 28-pound weight, weight advantage... Yeah, you're not going anywhere, so I can see that. I can see that. Um, okay, so that, that that was a quick fight, but that's that was our, our final um, quarterfinal. So we now go on to our semi-finals. But before we do that, we have um, an interview with a certain Tank Abbott, uh, who gives some insight into the Puerto Rico incident, um, as only Tank Abbott can do. Um, now, Tank goes on to give an interview here, and he then goes to commentate the, the next fight or, or, or co-commentate the next fight. Um it's impossible for us to cover the number of quotes that you could from Tank Abbott in his short time on commentary here. But if you can get a hold of it, it is the reason to watch this pay-per-view, in my opinion. Uh, it's... It's worth stating that, according to Chris, this doesn't make... That these quotes don't make the fight pass, and it? We saw them, Chris didn't. Uh, I'm not particularly surprised that they took them out but there was some (laughs) this was Nate Diaz 18 years before Nate Diaz became a thing this was largely uncoordinated quite random statements but boy was it fun to watch yeah, so just to give some 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 brief sort of highlights, I really really recommend that you try and get a hold of it and go back and watch it yourself. And I don't want to spoil it for you uh, for you guys listening. But as a few examples, he compared himself to an animal tearing into a gazelle on the Discovery Channel. Um, he also ripped into Don Fry and said that he looks like Tom Selleck. Uh, he does also confirm in some factual insight that he is going to fight at the UFC's next pay per view on September twentieth, uh, which is. Um, which is part of the reason, I think, or the whole reason of why he's actually appearing on this show. Uh, he then goes on to mention Godzilla, Glamrock, and Freddie Mercury, all in equal measure. It, it's, it's, in my opinion, the best interview slash promo I've seen in, um, in, in, in UFC to this stage. Um, so before we jump into the actual fight, Bob, is there anything you wanted to add there in terms of, you know, I mean, it's it's worth restating. He does stay on commentary for the next match, and he's um, 
up and to begin with, I thought, Christ, he's dragging it down. But in the middle of the fight, he started to add some interesting insight. And the one thing we'll say with, uh, without Don Wilson, the commentary was otherwise a bit flat. Jeff Blatnick and yeah. Bruce Beck were a bit monotone. Yeah. Um, Tank was probably a few kilometers too far over the other way. Um, but he did spice it up a bit. And there was some stuff. I mean, there was a, there was a great bit in this interview where, like, you know, he's running everyone down. Um, and, um, one of them says, do you respect anybody, Tank? And Tank goes, well, I respect myself. And I just, <laughs> This is fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have had him on commentary. I, I thought that the, the bit in terms of between the fights was great. I, you know, and we we talk about making stars, and we talk about you know we can we compare with Monday stuff, and it's it's as much about talking people into fights as it's about fighting people into fights or fighting people into the arenas. Tank Abbott here probably in a way came across as more of a style than anyone else because he could talk and because it's like, it's the Conor McGregor thing. It's people want to see him get beaten up. Um, mm. big fan of this. Um, you know, he was, he was great. Yeah. And, and let's not go into any of the quotes from the fight because there's some, there's some gems in there as well. Um, but, uh, if you want to talk about a reason to promote the next pay per view, it's done to a T by the tank man. So, okay, um, our first semi-final is up next, and it's Don, Va- uh, Don Fry versus Brian Johnston. So, uh, Chris, should we, are we going to carry on the introductions here for the fighters, or should we just jump straight in? Uh, I mean... I, like, should I should we just do their record? Would, would that be... What record and weights so are probably yeah, the so, two things, I think. Yeah, yeah good so call. Don Fry enters this one 5-0. and oh. He weighs in at 214 pounds, uh, and Brian Johnson is 1-0, having made his debut early in the night, weighing at £222. So he's got £8 on Don Fry. Yeah, OK. So pretty pretty close. You know, that's uh, not not a million miles from, from the weight classes of today that you might get two guys fighting each other. Um, so uh, our fighters walk out. Uh, Bruce Buffer gives us our introductions and Big John kicks us off. Uh, we do also gloriously uh, have Tank on colour commentary. Um he adv- <laughs> I, I'm going to try not to laugh too much here, but I can't help it. He, they ask Tank to give his advice to Johnston at this stage, and he says, my, <laughs> my advice would be to throw the towel in. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> oh, God. Right, I'm going to try and get through this. Okay, so um, both men immediately come out swinging, uh, and they pin themselves to the fence. Johnston lands a number of strikes and knees, and Fright shows the impact with a dry smile, uh, which is just the evil way of saying you've got no idea what's coming to you, even though he does very quickly look like he's gassed and uh, the, the previous fights are having an effect on him. There's more knees and strikes from Johnston, uh, who is looking really impressive at this stage. Uh, and, and Tank's advice at this stage to Johnston is to not blow your wad all at once. <laughs> um and uh, after that, Fry works it to the ground uh, and takes Johnston's back. Fry with some shots to the head, and Johnston takes his right arm to try and hold back the offence, which is uh, coming thick and fast. Uh, John's, Johnston flattens out on his back, and he is in trouble at this stage. Fry is looking very dominant. Uh, Fry lands an elbow to the body, and that's about it. Johnston has had enough, and he taps out. Um, Fry moves into the final. Uh, after this, Tank recalls <laughs> Tank recalls a bad dream that he had at Ultimate Ultimate where he was being raped by Freddie Mercury. <laughs> Fuck's sake. 
I'm not. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. <laughs> I, I know. I know. We. I know. Chris mentioned that quote a couple of shows ago, and uh, that would have been in an interview or or, or something that, that Abbott did at much later date. But imagine saying that live on air. Can you imagine what they would what they would have been doing, Bruce? Sitting next to him, just like no, no, <laughs> what are you doing? No, ah, oh, just you, it just can't. You, you shouldn't have said it back then. You certainly wouldn't say it now. Um, but my God, the, I think before the before the fight as well, they interviewed him and said, "Oh, um, Tank, I think you're you're being described as a fighter for for this, people in bars need someone to cheer as well." Um, and he talked it down, but I think that's exactly what he's trying to do here. And I think to a degree, they've told him to go out and do that as well. Um, just to, you know, the everyday guy. He's a bit like the Sandman from ECW for you pro wrestling fans. He's just the everyday guy who wants to go out there and, and, and tear shit up. Um, but anyway, we, we, we did also have a fight, um, in behind the commentary as well between Fry and Johnston. So, um, Chris, let's go to you first. What did you make of it? Well, briefly, my, my, my take on the, uh, Tank Habit was, was pretty hilarious, really. Having, as Bob said, uh, watching it on Fight Path. So none of the promo was shown. It wasn't alluded to once. Just both the semi-finalists came out, got into the cage, and the fight started. So I'm watching the fight and making my notes, and then I pick up on someone on commentary, a third voice, just say that line that you quoted. You wouldn't want to blow your load, uh, blow your wad all at once. I was just like, sorry? <laughs> I, like, rewound it. It was like, there's absolutely no introduction. I have no idea who this third person is. I have no idea where this is coming from. So, yeah, a little bit of research, and I see Tank Abbott's on commentary. But Yeah, and just, um, to be, just to be clear at this stage, I didn't cover 10% of the quotes. So I'm, I know Bob's got some more, but, yeah, Chris, carry on. Well, it, even then, like, he was on commentary, but I didn't hear... Um, a lot of the stuff that you're saying, I didn't hear the Freddie Mercury line, so they did leave some lines on his commentary in on Fight Pass, but even like little quips here and there must have been taken out. Like, like it's just, it's just a, like the whole thing is hilarious. Like, I'm, I wish it had been left in, to be honest. Um, I think elbows and knees are overrated unless you've got a guy on Queer Street. Is a genuine line by Tank Abbott live on pay per view. It's not on fight pass it is it like no. I, I, I wish it was in just like it, it does sound like uh, he's uh, taken the uh, comedy to a new level with well him. he steals the show hey. talk about stealing the show good lord but anyway go on Chris talk, talk yeah, to so, the fight yeah. the fight itself um, I mean it was two well matched guys like Johnson Johnston compared himself uh, he said the guy he models himself on is Don Fry stylistically and they were they were well matched and both came out swinging, but um, again, it just—it was just shown here that Fry's the better fighter, and once Fry got on top and mo- maneuvered into side control and landed those elbows, uh, I mean, Johnson had no choice but to submit it. I mean, he was taking some extreme punishment on the ground. Um, it started out as a well, well-matched, even, even fight, as I said, but by the end of it, Don Fry was clearly. Uh, the dominant and better fighter of the two. Um, just a, another impressive performance of Don Fry, but I wouldn't like to take anything away from Johnston because he's making his MMA debut in this tournament, coming up against Don Fry, who to this point has been the best fighter we've seen on any of these shows. So, I mean, it's the toughest opponent he could have come up against, and uh, I don't think he did himself a disservice here. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, also, just I, I wanted to touch on this briefly before we get any further into the match, into the fights. Um, they the pre-fight intros are continued into the semi-finals and the final. 
and the fighters were obviously asked to record a quarterfinal promo, a semi-final promo, and a final promo. And although the commentators go on to explain that we didn't know how these fights were going to plan out, so everyone recorded them, it came across as very fake to me and very, and very staged. And the fighters clearly looked very awkward. In uh, If they were awkward in their quarterfinal promos, they were zombified by their semis. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll go on to talk about that a little, a little bit more. But um, Bob, over to you. What did you make of the fight? Yeah, uh, very good fight. I was impressed by Johnston. Um, you know, I, I think what we speak about in the first round about Fry struggling to take out Hall, and I think that clearly he probably struggled in the semi, perhaps because he had such a long quarterfinal. Um, but still did enough to get the job done. Still weathered the storm, and I, I think, as I say, Tank was very up and down on commentary. But the one thing I agreed about him most with on the end was that was Fry's first fight in the UFC, in my opinion. I thought, yeah, you're probably right. This was the first time I felt like Don Fry was really tested. As much as it took him ages to get the job done with Mark Hall, that was just Hall's resilience rather than necessarily having a back and forth. They were throwing bombs at one point in this fight, and Fry was wearing some serious stuff. Um, but full credit to him, he stuck into it. And one quick thing, and I, I know this a lot of matches, but with the obvious exception of the Shamrock 7 fight last time, how many of these fights in this era of UFC, we start, both guys charge towards the middle, they throw some bombs, one guy gets driven towards the cage. How many fights end up right up against the cage about 15 seconds after they start? Again, mm. with the exception of the super fight last time, there is no circling, there is no attempt to, you know, I've been watching, I watched a Bellator show last night, I watched 200 last week. Watching this stuff and comparing it with the stuff from 20 years ago, the Monday stuff is much more, fight begins, right, 15, 20 seconds, let's size him up, let's, you know, get within range and let's see what we can land. This guy, they start, they run in and they charge at each other. It's a fascinating kind of dynamic and a, and, and again, what I say at every show, one of the fun things about old school MMA is that it is so raw and so uncoordinated at times and this, the, the way this fight started will just, they just, you know, John McCarthy said, let's get it on and they started throwing. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? And I think today as well, they come in and they touch gloves and there's that sort of serum, almost like a, um, a formula. You know, they're called in, they touch gloves, they circle, then the fight starts. Whereas in, the, in these days, it's almost like if you imagine two guys are trying to go out in a, in a bar and there's someone in the middle holding them up with their, like, on their hands on their chest, just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then the guy in the middle gets out of the way and just goes, go on, just do what you like. It has that feel to it. Um, I'd agree with you, yeah. Any, anything else, Bob, or is that, is that you, are you covered there? No, good good fight. Um, I, but again, I think the big takeaway, completely agree with Tanka, but Don Fry's first real test in the UFC, real as in like the first time that he didn't just put someone away. I'm not saying he didn't have any tests, but the first time he was really challenged and he came through it. Fair, fair play. Yeah, okay. Cool. So, um, okay, if, if there's nothing else to add from you, Chris, I'll move on to the um, uh, the second semi-final. Yeah, move on. Okay, thanks. So uh, the uh, the second semi is... Mark Coleman versus Gary Goodridge. Um, yeah, again, there, there, there are some, some interesting points here from the Taylor tape, uh, Chris, but can you just give us the, the weights and the, um, the, the fight records of the, of yep. the guys? So Coleman enters at 1-0, and having made his MMA debut earlier in the night, weighing in at 245 pounds. He is, which probably won't happen many times in his career, the far smaller man. Uh, giving away height and weight to the three and two Gary Goodrich, who weighed in at two hundred and sixty-three pounds, so eighteen pounds on him here. 
Yeah, eighteen pounds and two inches. So not as big a difference as the previous fights or some of the some of the previous fights that we've seen, but still a substantial weight advantage. Well over a stone. Is anyone surprised that Coleman's lighter than Goodridge? I know Goodridge is big, but Coleman's huge. I mean, we can't see Goodridge under the gi so much. Um, yeah, well, he's got two inches on him as well, which is something It just feels said, like but... Coleman's weight just feels too low. Maybe we're just looking at a jacked guy. But... I do think the gi as well probably brings Goodridge down. He might be jacked underneath it. Like, he is when you see in his, in his promos when he's, like, training at the beach. He is, like, huge. And that gi sort of... In that, in that Puerto Rico final where he took it off because it was so hot, he looked jacked there too. Yeah, I suppose. And also, um, Goodridge is triangle shaped, so if you look at him from the waist down, he hasn't got, you know, you can't really see Col- uh, Goodridge's legs, but Coleman's weight is from the waist up, really. So, yeah. I don't know, uh, that, that may have a part to play in it as well. Um, okay, so, um, the fighters walk out, we get our introductions, and Big John calls them in. Here we go with our second semi. Big Daddy is immediately on the front foot as we kick off until Coleman shoots and lands a takedown. Coleman lands a few strikes as Big Daddy keeps him in guard. The two exchange strikes and headbutts as Big John threatens to stand them up because we aren't getting enough action from the ground. Coleman passes guard and takes Big Daddy's back. They stand at the fence and Coleman lands a nice few uppercuts for good measure. Big Daddy scales the fence. uh, And when I say he scales the fence, I don't mean vertically. He does it horizontally. Um, as he cleverly moves to his corner for advice. And, and the commentators mention it. This is something that we've never seen at this stage. He, he sort of almost Spider-Man-esque works his way along the cage and Coleman lets him um, so that he can get to his corner and get some advice as to how he gets out of this, this being pinned to the fence um, predicament that he's in, which is fascinating to watch. Um, more and more uppercuts from Coleman at this stage as the advice that uh, uh, Goodridge received clearly isn't working. Um, Big Daddy eventually turns to face uh, Coleman. They throw knees individually at each other, and Goodridge once again turns to give up his back and clings to the fence for dear life. Coleman lands a significant number of strikes to the back of the head and chin with more uppercuts. Daddy turns again, and we finally get a clean break. I think Coleman has seen enough of of, of the back of Col- uh, Goodridge and, and wants a fight. Um, Big Daddy stalks Coleman now, as both men appear to be breathing hard and are clearly gassed. Coleman shoots and lands another takedown. Goodridge tries to stand, but Coleman's super um, impressive mat work isn't going to allow it. Coleman takes his back again and sits himself down on the small of Big Daddy's back. Goodridge is done at this point, doesn't see any way out, and taps out uh, from exhaustion. Our final for the tournament is set, and it's Don Vry versus Mark Coleman. So, chaps... um, what did you make of this fight? It, it, it was a good one, I thought. Um, Big Daddy, uh, I can't believe he lasted as long as he did, uh, bearing in mind how exhausted he was um, after the after his quarterfinal uh, effort. But uh, Chris, what did you make of it? Yeah, well, considering uh, the performance Goodridge put in against the 200-pound Mark Schultz, and Coleman is 45 pounds heavier than Mark Schultz. I mean, it didn't look good for, it, for him from the start. He, he didn't have particularly good takedown defense, and like we we have already shared, uh, Coleman is not on Schultz's level as a wrestler, but he throws strikes uh, with a lot more intent than Schultz did once he gets it to the ground. And uh, Goodridge was just uh, taken down at Coleman's will here, really. Whenever Coleman shot in, he was able to take him down. And uh, My personal highlight of the fight, and something I've n- never seen before and probably will never see again in MMA, but as you say, that... Uh, horizontal scaling of the cage as Goodridge manoeuvres to try and talk to his corner. 
is hilarious. And once he gets there and starts having a chat, uh, Coleman swiftly puts that to bed with a uh, huge uppercut from behind, which is uh, a highlight. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Coleman is just a, a beast. He is so huge, and like the, the, the weight, the weight disadvantage. It didn't seem like there was one. He just a far larger man, and he just controls him on the ground, controls him when they're standing. Uh, just a dominant performance, and this is this tournament really is for me the makings of a star because he's he has everything. He has that intent to finish a fight on the ground that we never saw, we haven't seen from other wrestlers in the in the UFC like Mark Schultz, who was able to take things to the ground at will, but didn't really know what to do when he got there. But Coleman is so much more proactive uh, with his strikes and. Uh, seemingly so much more powerful, and I guess that's what that weight will do for you. So th- this was a fun fight and a really impressive performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Bob, how about you? What was Gary Goodridge's plan when he started <laughs> scaling the cage? Like, because he started, and this is freaky as hell to watch, because you can't put your hand on the cage anymore in, in modern-day MMA. But the co- he started doing it, and the commentators went, this is a good idea. If he keeps moving, Coleman won't be able to hit him with the knees, which was fair enough. And then he gets around the other side of the octagon, and it's just, okay, you're going to have a chat with your coach. What for? Like, you had your back to Coleman. You weren't going anywhere. Coleman was just, like, picking him off pretty much, hitting some brutal uppercuts from, from kind of under his armpits, essentially. Um, yeah, I think it was a, a, a desperation effort than, than anything else. I thought if he, he probably thought to himself, if I stay here, I'm just going to get battered to the point where I won't be able to stand anyway. So if I get round there, my corner are going to give me some words of wisdom to get me out of this. They're going to give um, me the, the the grand plan. <laughs> well, you know, and it's it, 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 it's weird. Like you know, you I think Monday UFC there's more noise. I think to an extent there's also that they want to kind of protect the fighters too. But these days, you know, we heard the comments from Fry in the fight earlier, and they just stuck a camera up there and the comment the and it wasn't like the coach in his corner. The coach got up the the ring steps and stood the other side of the octagon door and just started having a chat. And I'm thinking, what are you telling him? He's in a completely shit situation. He's not going to get out with his position. And I'm kind of surprised, sort of a bit. That Coleman didn't, I mean, I suppose to an extent you're thinking, I've got to win the fight at all costs. I'm in a good spot, let's keep hitting him. But I thought it would have benefited Coleman if he'd have just let him get off the cage and, and tried to get him away from the cage. As it was, it was just like expending energy. But yeah, uh, a very memorable fight, just because I don't know how often we're going to see a guy get caught up in the cage and obviously, as I say, you can't hang on to the cage. But not just that, start scaling around the cage. Mental. But yeah, I don't really understand Goodridge's game plan once he got on the cage and I having watched the fight I don't know what he was trying to do <laughs> yeah and I don't suppose we ever will know uh, but uh, it makes it entertaining viewing nonetheless um, but it was a good fight I thought I, I actually enjoyed it as much as any other fight on the, on the card um, if, if not well if only just to see Coleman how how he adapted his game for a bigger fighter um, and just it was so impressive, and you, it's it's as I say, it's it's a scary prospect thing. This is the first time he's fought on, on a UFC card um, at this stage. So um, 
after that fight, uh, we see an advert for the Kings of Pancrase uh, pay-per-view, um, which includes UFC's Ken Shamrock. Uh, and, and by that advert, I know I know very little about it. But from that advert, it, lo- it looked like it was in a wrestling ring, um, which is an interesting prospect for MMA. And uh, it, I actually thought from the advert, it looks like something I want to check out. So if I manage to do that, I'll be sure to mention it in a future podcast. Um, off, after that, uh, we're given an interview with the beast himself, Dan Seven, who is looking sharp in a three-piece suit. Uh, who, he is obviously the super fight champion. Seven says the caliber of fighters from UFC 1 to UFC 10 is vastly improved. He also says that Coleman is doing a fantastic job in his debut. Blacknick then goes on to call Seven's fight with Shamrock from UFC 9 boring. Seven responds by calling it strategic. And I have to say I agree with Blacknick. Bruce Beck then gives Seven some questions from CompuServe Online, uh, none of which are particularly interesting. Um, but Seven compliments Don Fry and essentially avoids the potential to fight him in the future. Uh, I can't say I'm surprised, but um, did you guys pick anything else up from those questions that's worth mentioning? Nope. No. No. I, I, I kind of thought they were killing time. I think to an extent it was probably the one weakness of overall from a production standpoint, a very efficient and well-run show was that they didn't have anything to put in here. And I think they kind of thought, oh, good idea. We'll interview, um, you know, we'll interview seven, but it, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, mm. I kind of figured rather than doing the live chat, they perhaps should have taken questions from the live chat and built it into an interview that they could have perhaps steered a bit more. In the end, it was a bit listless. Um, but yeah, it comes out to what we said earlier, probably needing another fight in here. Yeah, absolutely. They were just, just killing time, weren't they? We then got a promo for um, Secrets of the Octagon, which we've seen before, which is a, a pack that the, that the company are selling. Uh, what those secrets are, I, I guess we'll never know. But um, I think you can tell a lot of the secrets just from watching, watching the fights. We then get a UFC merchandise advert, which apparently fans are clamouring for at this stage. Um, and in those days, there was a telephone number to call for it. Can you imagine calling a telephone number for merchandise and not just going to a website to view it in the different sizes? Uh, a different time indeed but uh, it's now time for our final fight of the evening and our main event which is the final of the tournament so uh, Chris can you please give us the weights and the fight records of the fighters at this point please yep so we have Don Fry who I guess would be sort of a reigning champion having won the last tournament that the UFC held he's weighing in at 214 pounds with a record of 6-0 and Mark Coleman as I've said before, making his MMA debut tonight. So he is 2-0, having made the final. He has a 31-pound weight advantage, weighing in at 245 pounds. Both men are the same height. Yeah, and that's a big point. Let's not touch on it too much until we've talked about the fight itself. But that's over two stone, which by today's standards is absolutely ludicrous. um, It's about two weight classes, isn't it? Uh, Yeah. It, yeah, it would easily be two weight classes, yeah. I mean, maybe not of that kind of weight, but in terms of the raw numbers, like if you were 150 and you were facing a guy 175, you'd be fighting up two weight classes, yeah. Yeah, well, you, look, you, look at, you look at McGregor when he stepped down to fight Diaz and they talked about the... the, 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 the oh, sorry, when he stepped up to fight Diaz and the increase in weight was exactly why he didn't prepare for the fight and, 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 and lost, um, uh, didn't, didn't have the, the, the background at that weight class. To, and, you know, look at boxing. The, the weight class is, is so important these days. It's so crucial to the, um, the fights that are put on, on, on cards these days. So it's a big one for me. Um, but uh, let, let, let's crack on. So Coleman walks out. Fry walks out, and I expected when this match started for it to be a bell turn. I don't think I was disappointed. Um, in, our, in their pre-fight promos, Fry describes the tournament as money in the bank, which is a little bit overly confident, um, but I suppose at that stage he hadn't seen Coleman. 
Um, and I wonder if they'd interviewed him before the fight, whether he would have said it. I would. I, I guess also this was the this was the interview that would have been done before the final. So if he doesn't get this fight, it never gets aired. Who's well, exactly, that? exactly. So what, what I'm saying is that it, 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 it comes. The, the, what I was saying about these pre-fight promos is sort of added to here by the fact that they're told what to say before the tournament's even begun. So they've got no idea who, who they're going to be up against. So it almost makes it a bit of an insult to Coleman, which isn't how Fry would have intended it. Because if they'd in, in, interviewed him between fights, he would have said, this is going to be a, a hell of a fight on my hands here. But, you know, again, it's from the presentation standpoint, really. Um, so, uh, yeah, Bruce Buffer gives us int- introductions and John McCarthy sets off our final Coleman quickly shoots, but Fry shows good defensive game by blocking it and keeping his ground. Coleman then hits a short drag and quickly spins to Fry's back, which is highly impressive and one of the nicest moves of the entire pay-per-view. Really quick reaction speed and just, I I was very impressed. Uh, Coleman with some side strikes and elbows as Fry rolls into guard. A few more stiff shots to Don's face as the champ is being dominated in the open minutes of the fight and is bleeding already at this stage. Coleman sprawls and won't let up as he continues with the ground and pound, landing only a few cleanly. Coleman's size seems to be a big issue for Fry here, as Fry just can't seem to deal with his weight. Coleman cinches in a choke attempt, but Fry wriggles his way out of it, and both men are back up on their feet. They look exhausted at this stage. Coleman hits another takedown and a stiff knee to the face. He takes Fry's back, and Fry rolls for some more fists to his face as a thank you. Big John sends Fry to his corner to clean the blood from his eyes because he is looking pretty bashed up at this stage. John tells Fry in the corner, you've got to do something, son. Coleman can barely stand at this point as he's so exhausted. And when we talked about the tournament impact on fighters as as the fight progresses, this is really demonstrated here. Uh, He looks absolutely drained. The two fighters slowly prowl each other once they're called back in until Fry hits his knees and clings to Coleman without being clearly able to stand uh, for much longer. He'll not win this grappling game with Coleman as Coleman tries the reverse choke, but Fry manages to get atop of Coleman in a surprise move, who literally stands and lifts Fry's entire body weight onto his shoulder, and then, as he was clinging to the fence with one arm, puts him down onto his feet. But that was so impressive at this stage to be able to do that. Literally, he was entirely off the ground. Uh, it, It was amazing. Coleman unloads with right hands on Fry, and they hit the ground again. Fry tries to land some strikes from the ground, but doesn't seem to have the energy to put any power behind them. Coleman uses his right knee very effectively, and Fry is gushing blood on his face now. A couple of stiff headbutts from Coleman, and McCarthy sends them to their corners. He brings them in, and he is calling the fight at this stage, as Fry cannot continue. Mark Coleman is your new UFC tournament champion. So, our final is done and done, boys. Uh, what did we make of it? What, what, what did we, beforehand, what did you think? Um, during, what did you think? And after, what did you think? Because Don Fry is, he's the most dominant fighter at this stage, and he lost. So it's a huge event, uh, in UFC history, this one. But, uh, let's get your thoughts on it, Bob. I mean, going in, this is the big strength of the tournament format. It's, you know, you take a guy like Don Fry, maybe we already knew, um, but you get to the final, you're like, well, shit, Mark Coleman's looked good up against this point, defeated Gary Goodridge, a name in the semi as well. What a fight. I mean, they, oh, but credit to both these guys. They were blown out of their ass going into the cage, let alone during the fight. Um and this was a hell of a fight. There was some serious skill on show. And we, we, we talk about, 
Seven and Shamrock being two really good fighters cancelling each other out. These were two really good fighters just going back and forth. Um, you know, and Fry suffered because of the size. He suffered because of it. I don't want to say anyone was more knackered than the other because they were, you know, they were both blowing throughout. Um, and yeah, I mean, what a, what a great near end of the thing where kind of Coleman gets Fry on his shoulder and nearly ends up throwing him over the top of the cage. Um, as Fry kind of clung onto the top as well. Um, fair play to Don Fry, who fought for a long time tonight, as had Mark Coleman. Um, but Coleman, as we speak about a standout night, he looked phenomenal. And for a guy who was clearly out on his ass to be able to go for so long in the main event and still have the energy left, just about to finish it off. I know it was, it was called off in the end. They were both done for really in terms of energy. I don't think either would have given up. Um, Big John made the right call and Mark Coleman is absolutely the right winner of this tournament. Mm-hmm. Chris, how about you? This was one hell of a main event. This was, this is up there with as, almost as much as I've enjoyed a fight uh, watching MMA 20 years ago for this podcast. This was sensational. Coleman is such a beast. I mean, there's a, there's a moment, I think it's around the 2 minute 20 second mark, where uh, Coleman has him down and he pins him sort of against the fence and he just lands these punches over and over and you said yourself Tom only a few land but John had stopped fights earlier in the night for less than that like these punches were consistent they were hard and most of them were landing and that was two minutes in this fight went for almost another ten minutes and Don Fry never submitted he had all the heart in the world He he never seemed to be rocked even his face was a mess but he was like fully conscious at all points. Like when the fight was waved off, he was standing. Like they were both exhausted, but he was he was aware of his surroundings. He was he was fully in the fight mentally. It was just physically he was exhausted. I mean, the will of that man to to be in the fight after that stage and to last as long as he did. Uh, I mean, and then you have Coleman on the other hand, who around five minutes in, where Big John gets the uh, the the blood and the cuts checked on Fry. And it's about three or four minutes of fighting later when Coleman manages to pick Fry up and nearly throw him out of the cage. It, like He was out on his feet, like leaning against the cage, barely able to stand when the doctor was checking Fry. He just sensational, like feats of strength from Coleman and feats of heart from, from both of men that made this fight just fantastic. And as Bob said, uh, the absolute right winner of the uh, of this tournament because Mark Coleman is a, is a beast. He's a he's a brute. He's a star. He's so proactive and he, he had the intent to hurt. I, I, he was he was fantastic throughout the night. He was fantastic in this, as was Von Fry. Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful fight and a wonderful main event. Yeah, absolutely. It was a super uh, Superman showing from Coleman um, in this in this tournament, and specifically in the main event. Uh, it, 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 for me, it was everything you'd want from a main event. It was um, two of the very best, I think, that, that, that the company has. And bearing in mind, this is the first time we've seen Coleman. Um, shorts aside, it, I think he's the best mat wrestler we've seen. Um, to, to combine it with other, you know, his, as we said, his ground and pound game. Fry, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try and remain unbiased here, but I. I Obviously, you know, Fry is a, a personal favourite and, and a favourite of the podcast, but I think that the weight difference here was his downfall. Um, that £31, he was never getting up when it was on the ground, and he spent a lot of those 11 or so minutes that the fight lasted on the ground. Um, but 
that I, I don't want to take anything away from Coleman because, as you said, Chris, that 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 display when towards the end of the fight, only a few minutes from the end, he lifted Fry's entire body weight after literally looking when they when he sent them to their corners and Fry was getting clean for blood. Coleman was hunched over with his hands on his knees, just huffing and puffing. I thought, God, this can't go on much longer. He then went on to lift a, a, a t- over a 200-pound man on, on one shoulder uh, only a couple of minutes later. It's, it's phenomenal to see. Um, and a technical masterclass from, from Coleman. Um, I, just, I just felt that the weight class made this highlight the need for weight classes. And I wonder if, you know, if I'd been watching the fight back in 1996, I probably wouldn't have said that because I wouldn't have thought, well, why don't they introduce class, you know, uh, weight classes to, to separate the fighters? A, because it wasn't a thing, and B, because I don't think there was a big enough roster for them to do that with, with the same quality throughout the weight classes that they have now. Um, We're but... not that far away from the first... I think it is in a year or so's time. So in the next 12 months, we get the first kind of... Let me have a look. Col- Coleman wins the UFC Heavyweight Championship. It's got to be within less than a year of this yeah. show. Yeah, it is, Let me yeah. have a look. I mean, um, you, you guys carry on talking. I'll, one, I'll... one thing I will say is that Coleman definitely had the weight and size advantage here, but if there was one guy who had been able to overcome it, you would have thought it had been Don Fry. I mean, he won the David versus Goliath tournament. Like, he overcame three guys in that tournament with bigger weight advantages over yep. him than Mark Coleman here. And yep. that's not taking anything away from Don Fry. That's, that's a credit to Mark Coleman in that it's more than just size with him. Fry can beat guys who are just bigger than him because he's so talented. He's such a fantastic fighter. But Coleman, as well as this size, he's just ferocious. He's a superb wrestler. He's dangerous on the ground. He's dangerous standing. He throws strikes with intent to finish the fight. He is a level above any of the fighters of his size or above that we've seen. And that's why he was, that Don Fry would have been, if you said there's one guy you've got to put in there against someone like Mark Coleman, who picked Don Fry every day, he's been the most impressive. And, and as you say, he won the David Goliath tournament. Like he, he is the one who would have been able to shut down Coleman. And on a different night, maybe if there hadn't been, um, the tournament aspect to it and he wasn't knackered going in there, I know Coleman was as well. Different fights happened. Like this is what happened on this given night. You could have put them in there on another night, and Don Fry might have come out on top. But on this night, Mark Coleman was a, not a class above, but he was so dominant here. He was so impressive. Yeah. You, I, you, sorry, I, sorry, got, go on, Bob. No, I was going to jump in about the the, the weight thing. Carry on, Tom. No, I was just going to say I do think as well that when you when you look back to the quarterfinals, and again I'm sticking up with Don Fry here, but with good reason. You look at the quarterfinals. None, three of the fights, none of them went above two minutes and forty three, and Don Fry's fight went ten minutes and twenty one. Uh, and that's a that's a lot. That's a lot of time. That's that's to to, to try and you know uh, rebuild your engine and, and get gas uh, get the gas back in the tank to 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 carry on. But um, you know again, um, Coleman's semi final went on for two and a half minutes longer than Fry, so maybe well. But anyway, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. Bob, what, what did you have for us? Uh, UFC 12, February 1997 includes a match for the UFC heavyweight championship between Mark Coleman and Dan Seven, and also includes two separate weighted tournaments: a lightweight tournament with two semis and a final, including Jerry Bolander, who's a guy we saw on previous shows, uh, and a heavyweight. For, I'm kind of giving away the winners here, but so it doesn't matter. And a heavyweight tournament separate from the uh, heavyweight title fight, uh, including two semis and a finalist, including a 20-year-old Vitor Belfort. Yeah. Wow. Got that to look forward to in less than a year. Humdinger. 
right, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, I, but, I but that, those the, those weight classes, I'll, I'll mention those as I got them up. Heavyweight, two hundred pounds and over, and lightweight, one ninety nine and under. Right. They still have been in the same weight class, so it's not yeah. it's not necessarily a weight class rather than a weight split per se. I, all of these guys were heavyweights by modern standards, weren't they? Fry would have no. Yeah, he would. Yeah, Fry would be a heavyweight by modern standards. Yes. Uh, over two hundred five, and I suppose guys have got to cut if they want to get to two six five. Yeah, he he would. I suppose he would have just cut to two hundred five, wouldn't he? He would never yeah. have fought a heavyweight. No, not not in. Um, no, certainly not. But yeah, I mean, this was essentially a heavyweight fight by heavyweight tournament by modern standards, but. It's just guys up and down the range, and you know I think if you're a if you're a two twenty two twenty five fighter, you're much more likely to work on cutting the two o five than you are to try and fight heavyweight. Um, see, there's a lot of the heavyweights in modern day standards are probably walking around at two ninety. Um, if you're two twenty five, naturally you're cutting rather than going up. I would yeah. suspect. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Um, Okay, so um, that's our tournament, and we've got our champion. Um, so, chaps, before we move on and do our fight of the night, uh, fighter of the night, and racing for the show, is there anything else you wanted to add at this point? Um, just some some talking points or anything else that, you, that we haven't covered already? Uh, one quick thing: we spoke about reasons why John McCarthy was um, inconsistently applying um, stoppages. One thought I had: do you think it's got anything to do with the fact that he's seen some guys fight before and others not? Maybe he maybe he gives Don Fry more time because he knows he's got it in him. Is there anything to that? Yeah, I'd say so. I think that's a perfectly reasonable explanation, particularly in this final. There was a stage about two minutes in, as I say, where he stopped fights in this tournament quit for, for what was going on right in front of him, and he let it go. He knew Fry wasn't rocked, whereas someone who's making their MMA debut maybe doesn't have that trust or the belief that they're going to be able to fight out of the situation, and he was proven right in Dom Fry going another 10 minutes. So, yeah, I think that's a perfectly reasonable explanation. And particularly as well, I just think that, you know, in this run of, of UFC, there's... Yeah, this, this admittedly is the first one we've seen where it feels like everyone's of a certain standard. But all the other USCs he's done, there have been guys in there that really don't look like they should be in there. And maybe he's a bit more cautious with new guys like, shit, I don't know if this guy's any good. If he gets in a dangerous position, I'd better stop it. But yeah, particularly after, let's, let's go back to Gary Goodrich and Paul Herrera from, from February. Yeah, maybe he thinks, crap, new guy, if he's not any good, I'd better stop anything serious happening. And whereas with a Don Fry fight, he's like, well, I know Don Fry can weather this. I'll give him a bit longer. I think there might be something to that. That might be an explanation as to why it's perhaps more inconsistently applied than normal. Yeah, I, I think that you might you might be right um, with that one, Bob. I think also it's worth bearing in mind that this was the final, and perhaps John wanted the final to get to a, a satisfying conclusion. Um, and I think that it, it, it would have been aided by the fact that he would have known, that, as you say, Fry could have weathered that storm, and with, with his background and, and experience, could have found a way to get to get a top and get uh, and make and continue the fight. Um, but I think that is worth bearing in mind as well that he probably was told let this let this one go um, because we don't want people complaining that the fight was stopped too soon and they didn't get their money's worth. I mean, how they could complain, how they could argue that at this stage, I don't know. But you know, from a booking standpoint, I'm sure that's all. That, a promoter standpoint, that's probably what they would, what they would have advised him. Um, okay, uh, anything else, Bob, from you? Uh, no. Nope. Okay, Chris, anything else before we do our ratings? 
Nope, all good for me. Okay, so let's go through our, our, our three um, um, ratings here. So, fight of the night. Uh, who are we going? What? Which one are we going to go with, Chris? I'll go to you first, please. Uh, my fight of the night is the main event. I said it during the review. Probably a bit of a spoiler for this award. Uh, probably about as much as I can remember enjoying a fight watching UFC from 20 years ago for this podcast. I thought it was wonderful. Both guys are stars. Both uh, Mark Coleman came a star at UFC 10, and Dom Fry was probably the biggest star the UFC had made, uh, having well, like having won a tournament and looked so impressive in his other outing. So, yeah, the, the main event was around 12 minutes in length. It was fantastic. It was back and forth. It was frantic. It had heart. It had supernatural feats of strength. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed everything about it. So, yeah, main event for me. Okay, Bob? Yeah, I think these uh, these end of year awards are going to be fairly consistent. End of year, end of show awards are going to be fairly consistent. Um, I, I, I think as a, as a spectacle, I would still say Don Fry and Amori Bitechi from the last show we did was a a more wild fight. Um, but this main event is a fantastic fight between two guys that barely give an inch. They fought for a long ass time going into this fight they're clearly knackered throughout but it doesn't it's one of those things you, you see some fights where you, they get into rounds four and five and both guys are out on their ass and it just stops this didn't they kept going um you know and, and fair play to both guys don fry as we know is excellent um and and mark Conn was fantastic a really good back and forth fight um it would have only been completed if mark Conn would have thrown don fry over the top of the cage um, although I suspect that might have given um, a certain uh, New York, um, whatever he was called, um, credence to the idea that fights might escape the cage. Uh, but yeah, big fan of this main event. It's a fantastic fight and absolutely the fight of the night. Yeah, we're three for three on fight of the night. I, I, I think I would add that the only thing that would have made it um, uh, the icing on the cake for a perfect fight would have been if Tank Abbott was sitting in the crowd drinking beer and throwing empty cans into the fight as it was going on. Uh, that would have just added added an, another layer of uh, enjoyment for me. But no, it was an exceptional main event, and as it should be, or as you would like it to be with um, events like this, the main event was the best fight of the evening, um, and that's credit to the guys that made it there. And, you know, potentially, I would say credit to the company as well for, for booking this, this tournament. And uh, did they know uh, the level of talent they had in, in Coleman? Perhaps. Um, do, do they care when they see that he can come out putting that performance three times and they've got a star in their hands? Probably not. So, um, yeah, three on three for three on that one. So, um, fighter of the night, MVP of the night. Again, this is probably a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a mute point, but let's just quickly give our ratings, Chris. Yeah, uh, Mark Coleman. For me, uh, making his mixed martial arts debut, obviously got a high-level wrestling background, but showed skills in striking both on the feet and on the ground far and above anyone else uh, with his sort of background um, that we've seen doing this podcast. I thought he came off um, wonderfully uh, in this tournament. So, yeah, Mark Coleman for me. Okay, Bob? The best all-round fighter we've seen since we started this project, uh, for all the reasons we've said over the last two hours, Mark Coleman. Yeah, three for three, no surprise to anyone. Um, if if you can get past Tank Abbott for, for, from, you know, not dying with laughter or, or complete offensive um, uh, reaction, this this performance by Coleman throughout the tournament is for any MMA historian an absolute must. Um, for a guy to come in and to put in 
that quality and that caliber performance uh, on his debut is astonishing. Uh, so it, it's worth watching for, for that and, and obviously Tank as well. Um, but uh, three for three on that one as well, chaps. Um, so this this will be an interesting one. Um, you've, we've compared it to other shows and how we how we uh, enjoyed it and things that we felt improved and, and what have you. Please, can you both give me your rating out of ten? And uh, just an overall summary of the show and how you felt it, it, it went in comparison to other shows and ha- how it stands on its own. So, Bob, go to you first, please. Uh, I'll give it a seven and a half, which I think is lower than some of the other ratings I've given in the past. Probably the best tournament in just the sense that you know eight really good fighters up and down. Um, but probably as a as a result, is it perhaps as wild and as wacky in some of the other shows? Um, one really good fight, but it, you know I, I probably prefer the last show we reviewed in terms of an interesting um, tournament to watch. Still a really good show. Uh, a couple real standout performances from a production standpoint. They're really advancing. And I think also we haven't really touched on it, but for a show that was moved on ten days' notice, it did not show. You know, admittedly it was a half full venue, but they, they did quite well to get that far. But from a production standpoint, it was as smooth as we've ever done. From an, in in ring in octagon standpoint, there were eight really good fighters. Um, and yeah, I, I think this is the fifth USC show we've done now. I think. Um, and five really fun shows. Like they've probably all been in the seven and a half, eight, nine range. I think so far in terms of my reviews, two big thumbs up. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Chris, over to you. Uh, well, I had written down in my notes that I was going to give this an eight out of ten, but in reviewing it, I realised how much more I enjoyed it than that. Uh, this for me is a nine out of ten show. It's personally uh, the show I've enjoyed the most, featuring the fight I've enjoyed the most that we watch back on this podcast. Uh, an absolute star. Uh, I would agree with Bob in what he said when giving his MVP in that Coleman on this night was the most impressive fighter we've seen as part of this project. Uh, he was sensational. The main event was a sensational. It's also a very, as Bob touched on much earlier in the show, and you touched on as well, Tom, a historically significant show with the debut of the first ever UFC heavyweight champion in Mark Coleman, but also that of Bruce Buffer, um, it was fun, had great fights, eight great fighters, none of the fights felt boring. I mean, a lot of them weren't particularly standout fights, but they were frantic, they were fun. This is a 9 out of 10 show for me. Yeah, it's a tricky one for me because I, I struggle to rate these shows purely on the shows that preceded them because we've seen the uh, the UFC product uh, in 2016 and the years that, that, that before it as well. So it's quite difficult to separate all that from watching uh, these these shows on their own. If I'm trying to do that and not thinking of any of the pay-per-views that came after it, this for me is an 8.5 out of 10. Um, and there's a good reason why I don't go as high as a nine, um, and there's a good reason why I wouldn't be as low as Bob's seven and a half. Now, uh, for me, this is the best MMA show UFC have put on uh, ever because the quality, and we've touched on this, the quality of fighters in all um, of the of the quarterfinals. And the talk- ever? Up to this point. This oh. is my f- no, sorry, that's the, that's the point I was making. Not no no don't don't get me wrong. I've given. I would give some tens. The, the, up to 1996, right. this is the best pay per view that the UFC have put on, and um, that's why I have to rate it 8.5 because I know there's better. There's better ones to come. So I, 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 I'm trying to be um, um, uh, 1996 mode, but it's quite tricky. So 
I would give it 8.5. It had um, the making of a star. It had, as, as Chris said, the first heavyweight champion. It had the first appearance from Bruce Buffer. This was the birth of UFC as we know it for me. It held, it, it held the caliber of, of quality and talent and different training styles across the board. It wasn't just a couple of fights that, that showcased it. All of the fights were good. There was no stinker in here. A couple of them were really were really good in my opinion. One was 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 excellent. Um, so it, it was there were a lot of three stars, a couple of four stars, and one five star. Um, it, it was um, a, a real step forward for for UFC, and uh, it would be one that I would suggest to casual MMA fans if you want to go back and watch one of the early events that you can see how far it's come and not how far it needs to change in order to be the product that it is today. This is the one that I would recommend that you watch. Um, but no, overall a, a very good show, and I really enjoyed it, start to finish. Um, okay, so. Um, that's that. That wraps it up for our uh, review of the show, there, guys. UFC 10. Unless there's anything else either of you want to add, um, we'll, we'll then just move on to our our wrap ups and, and close the show. So, anything else from you, chat, before I do that? Uh, no. Chris. No, we're good. Okay, cool. So, thank, firstly, thank you both for joining me tonight. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed these uh, this show, as I do with all of the the, the pay per views that we run through for UFC. Um, it's, as I always say, fascinating to see the evolution. And uh, this one, as I say, in particular, demonstrates a real step in the right direction. Um, for And bearing in mind, still, we've still got no judges and there's still no weight classes. Sorry, not judges. And we've still got um, um, no points. Uh, it's not a points-based system and there's no weight classes. So there are still some big changes to come. That, that no rounds of, is the other one as well. No rounds, of course. Yeah, yes, that's the other one I was thinking of. No, no rounds. So all those three things still haven't been implemented at this stage but it's a strong MMA card and a strong show with some great fights so it's a real um, um, it's really one to, to put your eyes on and to check out if you haven't been able to do so already um, so okay um, so this this is uh, obviously the the MMA um, version, uh, episode of the 20 years ago podcast this month it's volume 4 um, your other volumes will be volume 1 which is uh, your WCW show covering uh, Bash at the Beach and everyone's favourite heel turn, and possibly the biggest heel turn in the history of pro wrestling in Hulk Hogan. Uh, volume 2 is your WWF In Your House 9 international incident coverage, and Volume 3 is ECW Heatwave 1996. And as I said, Volume 4 is the show that you've just spent two hours of your life listening to. Um, so, yeah, uh, chaps, thanks thanks very much for joining me. Um, Bob, uh, I know that you, you usually like to spend these shows by interrupting me and making me look foolish, but you've managed to hold back um, for most of it, so I'll, I'll give you a thanks for that. I'm um, getting there. You're getting there, yeah. You, 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 you're doing you're doing quite well. So, um, yeah, uh, can you give us your um, give us your Twitter details, Bob? Uh, yes, I am on Twitter at Boy Bam, but uh, there's more and more wrestling MMA stuff. It's going to be on the the main wrestling twenty wire stuff. But just to say, I, I'm enjoying these MMA shows so much. I mean, I wasn't actually going to be on this one up until this week, but I'm really glad that well. I'm really glad that I ended up on this show. The, the, the circumstances that I did is, um, aren't great, but I, I, I'm glad I got the opportunity to come back on. Um, and yeah, it's it's so fun. I mean, you know, we we review wrestling stuff, and it's so up and down. You're like one good show in six, and you have to trawl through the crap. We're gonna get, and, and you know, we, we we got seven and shout last time. We're gonna get some bad shows along the way, but these are all so fun to watch and just. So so glad that we we started doing this. I'm hoping we're going to start patching through one to six uh, when the next few months start getting through those shows. So we've got those covered as well. But lots to look forward to, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks for joining us, uh, Chris. Uh, over to you as well. Please give us your Twitter uh, details and uh, to, if, if there's any info on your your podcast we briefly talked about last time. I think you were talking about kicking that back off again. So please share those details if you've got it. Yeah, still no news on the uh, podcast. Just uh, time, time and whatnot. Just this, this, please never stop with that. We need to ash even if it never comes back. This needs to be a running gag. It'll become pl- a, it'll, it'll become a cult podcast, and people will seek it out, and there'll be like groups of people that start wearing t-shirts with it on. I'll plug it for the next 20 years doing this show. Um, yeah, yeah. But if you do want to check out the now defunct Podplexity, it's still on iTunes and whatnot, and still on Twitter. <laughs> Hasn't been used for a long time. But yeah, that is Podplexity. Uh, my personal Twitter is uh, at ChrisWhite14, if you feel like giving me a follow. Uh, I'd just like to echo what Bob says as well. I thoroughly enjoy these MMA shows. They're fun to watch and they're fun to talk about with you boys. So uh, yeah, long may it continue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, I, as I touched on before, the, the, the enjoyment you get from watching these is almost as, as good as the enjoyment of, of talking about it. Um, and if you do watch these shows and go back and look at them, please try and find someone to talk to about it as well, because it, it only adds to your enjoyment, especially when you've got things to talk about, like Tank Abbott. Um, so, yeah, myself, uh, you can find me on Twitter on Mark Out Martin with a Y, um, where um, I'll talk about various things along MMA and, and pro wrestling too, um, including the current coverage of Brock Lesnar's uh, situation, which we haven't touched on too much, but it's a hot topic to say the least. Um, you can also find uh, the website for the podcast at wrestling20yrs.com. Uh, we're on iTunes and uh, the RSS feed is there too. Um, and that just about wraps it up for this evening's podcast. So thanks again, chaps, for joining me. Um, and I look forward to the future shows and, and, and enjoying every single one and every single fight and uh, every single change because there seems to be so many and every time we cover these. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Tom Martin. And for now, goodbye.